Good morning and welcome to another edition of the Bat Around. I'm your host, Paul Valley. With me today, that is not Zach Goodman. That is Ryan Blake from the uh, Give That Fan a Podcast podcast for Utah Street Report. Also, my co-host on Oh, What a Show for the Sideline Sports Network. Good morning, Ryan. How are you today? I'm doing great, Paul. Thanks for having me back. Oh, absolutely, man. We wouldn't have it any other way. When Zach can't be here, Ryan Blake is the guy that we want on the show with us. And you'll have to excuse me, everybody. We're getting a li- just a few seconds late start here because I am still trying to figure out my configuration here on the- in this new studio where I am. Hey, Ryan, do me a favor. Will you get up and go close this door for me? Uh, sure. Please. I-, I, would- I would love to get up, but I am... Uh- I am hosting this show right now, and so I'm trying to figure out exactly how I want to be situated here. There's not as much space on this desk as there was last uh, in the old studio, but we're going to get through this. We'll get into our comfort zone, and we will be happy about it. I think maybe what I'm going to do is I'm just going to take this microphone off the stand, and I'm going to get nice and comfortable here. Uh, So, Ryan, last night. Orioles lose. I guess you can call it a heartbreaker, so to speak. Hang on a second here. This I was gonna say, yeah, my my name is covering my face, there which is is fine. I don't have a I have a face for radio, but we're streaming, so. Nah, you're a nice looking man. You're a nice looking <laughs> man. Uh, you you uh you get the ladies for a reason. This is just. Hey, let's see if that's uh. Man, we maybe I should have worked out these technical difficulties. It's also I haven't produced a show in two months. And yeah. so I'm getting used to that again too, but it's kind of muscle memory. So we're we're back at it here. Um, so anyway, as we were saying, Orioles lose. I guess you can call it a heartbreaker. Last night, they never had the lead. Uh, they were down at one point. What was it? Six to two, I and then it was six to two, yeah, and then seven to three. Anthony Santander surely in the first game after he likes a Twitter post that I put up saying Anthony Santander is not a three or four hitter. He should never hit higher than fifth. And this lineup, ideally, he should be batting seventh. He liked that. Anthony Santander does this thing every now and again where he searches himself on Twitter, and then he likes all the negative posts about him. Yeah. Never mind the 800 tweets I have loving on Anthony Santander. He finds one of the five. He, he and has likes to find that. the fuel. Yeah, right? Well, that fuel seemed to work. It's my. You're welcome. Baltimore. <laughs> Anthony Santander hit that home run to spite me in the seventh inning. Three-run homer over that big left field wall out there to uh, give, get the Orioles within one run. Unfortunately, a guy named Clay Holmes exists, and they the Orioles couldn't get anything done. Look, they, they made it a little interesting, I guess, in the ninth inning. Look, going into that seventh inning, I'm sitting there. The Orioles at the top of the lineup coming up. They're down 7-3. to three. They had just given up a home run to Joey Gallo, which took them from down 6-3 to down 7-3. And the, you have the top of the order coming up. And I'm looking at this, and I'm like, all right, these guys need to score two runs in this inning so that they give the top of the order an opportunity to bat again in the ninth inning. What do they do? The, uh, Mullins leads off with a single. Uh, I don't believe Rutschman reached. Or did he walk? I couldn't. He walked in the first. No, R- Rutschman. Rutschman. Uh, Rutschman was facing uh, Chapman and great at bat. Oh yeah, great, yeah, great at bat. Ends up and then ends up striking a, out on a slider. The first slider that he threw of right the over inning, the heart of the plate, right, too. right down the middle, man. Right and, and, and look, 
We're going to get into Rutschman and his struggles from the right side of the plate this season in a little bit here. But look, it was a great at-bat by Rutschman, who, batting in the two-hole for the first time ever as an Oriole, got on base three times. Mm -hmm. Two hits and a walk last night. I I, I can't hate on Rutschman. Swung a miss at, at a good pitch, but one that he can handle but it was the first slider he saw. He was probably looking fastball, and he just he didn't get it. Yeah, when you right. have to protect against a 98, 99-mile-an-hour fastball and that splitter that Chapman unfairly added to his arsenal, it's it's tough to see a slider and not kind of jump at it. And Absolutely. So it was, But then Mancini, who had, man, Mancini had a rough night. And he's having a rough three games. 0 for his last 13, seven strikeouts, two walks, eight men left on base in his last three games. Um, he actually get he gets the walk. He gets on base. Santander comes up, and Santander hits a three-run rocket. 424-foot uh, shot. Uh, the Wooded Dong uh, Twitter handle, uh, they said that that was a home run in any ballpark in baseball. Santander blasts it to get the Orioles within 7-6. to six. If it stays fair, it's gone. Right? Uh, then then uh, Felix Bautista strikes out the side in the eighth. Dylan Tate strikes out the side in the ninth. The Orioles lead off the ninth inning with the top of the lineup up, and you're sitting there and you're like, as pumped up as Bautista was and as pumped up as Tate was and what they just did, retiring six straight guys on six Ks, this team isn't losing this game. But Mullins leads off the inning with a strikeout. Then Rutschman gets the infield single, and then Mancini comes up, and he gets four straight balls to start the at-bat, but he swung at two of them. And then he takes, a, what was it, a, a breaking ball, basically a hanger, right down the middle. Takes it for strike three. And it, it just was uh, magnifying the tough night that Mancini had last night. And then Santander comes up and hits a ball into the hole, but they were playing in the shift. And LeMahieu seemed to be wherever the ball was hit all night. Yeah, There was a there was a ground ball that Arias hit to get the game within 6-3. to three That Look, LeMahieu made a great play on the ball. He makes a... a like, kind of a, a, a lunging stab at it, catches the ball behind him and throws him throws him out at first base. So that ball gets through. The Orioles score two runs. We're talking about a tie ball game here in the ninth inning. But it doesn't get through. Uh, they only get the one run out of it to make it 6-3. And then in the ninth inning with Santander, he comes up and he grounds out um, with a runner on base to end the game. And the Orioles lose 7-6. Now, Ryan, the thing about this, Tyler Wells... Five innings pitched, five hits, five runs, two walks, four strikeouts, two home runs, both to Aaron Judge. Uh, I don't think we're going to be hearing Aaron Judge complaining about the wall. The last time he hit two well, home he, runs he, against yeah. the Orioles, he complained that his, that his double off the top of the wall should have been a home run. He like, didn't get a third. Yeah, come on, bro. Boo-hoo. Um, Orioles fall to 4-10 and ten against the Yankees this year. Tyler Wells, five runs in five innings. And he has allowed 11 runs in his last three starts in just 14 and two-thirds innings pitch. He's got a 5.23 ERA in July after a 2.93 ERA in May and a 2.42 ERA in June. Are you beginning to worry a little bit about Tyler Wells, or is this just a stretch that the pitches all have to go through? I mean, we didn't expect Tyler Wells to be anywhere near as good as he has been this season, so... You know, I think he was kind of due for a rough patch. It's a shame that it's come when the team is so hot otherwise. Um, but I think he'll find his footing. He, he has a great mentality out on the mound. He wants to win. He wants the ball. Um, I think he'll be okay, but it's it's definitely a little bit concerning that, uh, that he hasn't been able to come through lately. Yeah, and look, the, the way that the Orioles pitching staff was, was pitching for about a 30-game stretch was damn impressive. Yes. It was damn impressive. And... They were this due the, for a little bit of regression right, at some point. Right, because they're, they're not that staff. I don't think that they're terrible, 
But they're not the staff that pitched to like a two and a half ERA over the course of a month, Absolutely. right? Um, and they got other guys coming, uh, and we're going to talk about that here in a little bit. But the pitching, like you said, they were they were due for a regression. Not to mention the fact that you're playing the freaking New York Yankees. They have the best record in baseball. They just got swept in a doubleheader by the Astros the day before, so they have a little bit of a a little bit of a chip on their shoulder, right? Because <clears throat> even though they've had the best record in baseball, Excuse me. Even though the Yankees have had the best record in baseball all year, they can't seem to handle the Astros. And the Astros come in and they sweep them in a doubleheader the other day. So the Yankees are coming out and they're like, "All right, we're facing the Orioles. This isn't a this isn't a cakewalk anymore. We got to win this game." You know, when Judge puts a team on his back, hits the two home runs. Uh, look, the Orioles aren't as good as the Yankees right now, but the fact that they're playing them tight. That they're that they have a say in all these ball games, you like to see that. What you don't like to see is a ten game winning streak immediately followed by three losses out of four as soon as you get back into the American League East. Now, nobody cares outside of Baltimore that those three losses are by a combined four runs. Right. You have two one run losses, you have a two run loss, and then you have a, the other the other game is a win mixed in there. What does it say to you, Ryan, about this team that the teams that are bad, they're, they're beating. But the teams that are better than them, they're hanging in there, but they're not o- quite over the hump just yet. Well, we, we talked on another show about how we, we had this stretch coming up where you know you, you go on a 10-game winning streak against losing teams. Great, you still have to win those games, but the, the real test was coming. And, and it, it could make or break what the Orioles end up doing at the trade deadline too. Right. Uh, but... We, we knew coming in that these were going to be tough matchups. It's never easy against the Yankees. I had a little more optimism against Tampa Bay because we've handled them a little bit better this season. Mm-hmm. But they have our number, especially down in, in at Tropicana Field. So, you know, yeah, it's it's a shame that we, that we haven't been able to come through against the arguably more important opponents to beat. But I, I don't think we're far off from, you know, I mean, Boston has a has a better record than us. They haven't won a series yet against the American League East. Yeah. So and they've given up fifty seven runs in their last three games, and they get a forty seven run differential. They lost last night twenty eight to five. Gave up twenty nine hits in a baseball game. Twenty nine hits in a baseball game. Good lord, man! It's a lot. We actually, I, I, my my sounding off segment relates to that, but um, I, uh, we won't steal your thunder. It's okay. I just there there were a couple things with last night's game that that come to mind as as possible turning points. Um, first, you look at the top of the third inning. Tyler Wells had struggled with command in the first, mm-hmm. got out of it with the the strike him out, throw him out, double play. Which, by the way, Adley Rutschman threw out I, at least two runners last night that I remember. Uh, good night behind the play for him. Um, He's getting better every game. Yeah, he is. It, it started off a little shaky. But uh, he's he's starting to throw guys out, which is, is nice to see. Putting putting balls right on the money. Um, so Wells gets ahead of Joey Gallo with two outs in the top of the third. Nobody on base. I believe it was one and two. Ends up losing him. Puts him on first base with a walk. Next guy, DJ LeMahieu, comes up. He's one of the best hitters in baseball at hitting it wherever he wants to hit it. He spreads the field. As far as I'm concerned, there's absolutely no reason to put any type of shift on DJ LeMahieu. But sure enough, Rube Nedador is playing behind the pitcher's mound, not quite on the shortstop side of second base, mm-hmm. but LeMahieu hits a ground ball that would have been a routine ground out to end the inning uh, if he was playing in his normal position, and then, boom, Aaron Judge threw on Homer into the bullpen. Mm-hmm. Um, that stands out to me. The, uh, the the relay throw on Trevino's double, Mullins had to slide at the wall. Donaldson has to wait on second base to see if the ball is going to be caught so he can tag up to third. Odor catches the relay throw in, in shallow right center field, 
And I don't know if Mateo wasn't telling him to, to throw, but Donaldson's round in third, and Odor catches the ball and turns and stands there and ends up making a late throw. Throw beats, or he do, The runner beats the throw by not very much. Mm-hmm. I think if, if Odor comes up firing, he's you know makes a halfway decent throw. There's a play at the plate there and a, and a good shot at a, and an out with a slow runner in Donaldson. Um, that stood out to me as something that, that could have impacted the course of the game. And then you mentioned Clay Holmes. Been one of the best pitchers in the American League. He was an all-star this year. Uh, numbers right up there with Jorge Lopez. And he comes in after Michael King's injury. And he has to throw two pitches to get out yep. of the eighth. Two pitches, two outs. I would have liked to see. Now, I understand, you know, Arias is at the plate. He already has two strikes on him mm-hmm. when the pitcher leaves. It's tough to make that mid-at-bat adjustment. He ends up swinging and missing at the first pitch. I would have liked to see them make Holmes work a little bit more in that eighth inning. So right. he has to go sit in the dugout, think about it, come out maybe with, you know, at least seven or eight pitches under his belt. Because the, the thing with closers is once they get past that 20-pitch mark, it starts to get a little shaky. Holmes ended, I think, with 18 or 19. Um, so I would have liked to see them make him work a little bit. Mateo with the first pitch ground out to end the eighth inning, and, and Holmes comes back out fresh for the ninth. Um, but you know what? This, this team's always in it. it. It's not over till it's over. I was out on the flag court last night, and there were fans saying, you know, even when it was 7-3, I'm not, I'm not too concerned. I think they're going to— Worked their way back in it. And they it made seven it to six, and I had people telling me we're going to win. I thought I thought they were going to win. Yeah. After seeing the way that uh, Bautista and Tate pitched in the seventh, in the eighth, and ninth innings, I thought the Orioles were going to win the ball game. And I knew it was against Clay Holmes, but uh, but Cedric Mullins has been really coming through in these big key moments. He strikes out to start the inning, but then Rutschman gets on base. And you're like, all right, now you got the tying run on base. You got Mancini coming up. You got Santander coming up. And Mancini took himself out of that at bat, yeah. right? And then, and then Santander, there's only so much that he's going to do. He already hit the three-run homer. He had two hits in the ball game. Uh, so B- Baseball Reference has a, uh, a leverage index mm-hmm. in which they, um, they quantify at-bats based on the potential win probability added, essentially, in a situation. Santander in low leverage situations, his OPS is 939. Mm-hmm. Medium leverage, 639. High leverage situations, 533. He has a 170 batting average, 237 slugging percentage, one double and one home run in 71 plate appearances in high leverage situations. And I had this thought last night when he came up in the ninth that at that point I kind of thought it was over. And yeah. th- this is not a knock on Santander. It's just he's not necessarily the guy I want at the plate when when the game's on the line. I put out a tweet that, thank God he didn't like, but I put out a tweet <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, and I said, Anthony Santander is the best, quote-unquote, good, is is the, the I'm sorry, he, I said Anthony Santander is the, the quote-unquote, good hitter that I trust the least on this team, if that yeah. makes sense. Meaning that of all the guys that you trust to get hits for you, of all the guys that, 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 that have that power potential and can drive the ball, he's the one that I trust the least in those in those situations. And Trey Mancini's kind of made himself that, that, that guy for me also this year. I, I, the only time I remember him really coming through in a big situation was the, the walk-off against the Angels yeah. a couple of weeks ago. I, I feel like these at bats for some of these guys are just too big for them. The moment, the moment's too big for them. And and I and honestly, and I, and I'm, and I may get um, uh, attacked for this. I always felt the same way about Adam Jones. 
I always felt like Adam Jones was prone to chase the high fastball and chase the low and away slider in the dirt uh, anytime he came up in a, in a late and close situation. If you look at, at Adam Jones' splits and you look at those late and close situations, uh, his batting average, I think, for his career is like 207. It's not good. It's not good. Uh, and this, it's not to attack Adam Jones. I think Adam Jones should have his number retired by the franchise. It's just that there are certain guys who you love, who you trust uh, for for a game and for a season, but in the big situations, you don't want those guys up. Guys I would rather have up in the, those situations are, you know, maybe a Ryan Mountcastle or a Cedric Mullins or Adley, definitely Adley Rutschman yes. in those situations. And Rugnetador. Uh, yeah. Only, I, only in big situations, only, please. And he hasn't really been coming through recently. No, not lately. Recently, so which is going to be more glaring uh, as we get further down here in the season, as we get closer to the trade deadline. Now, uh, I look at the I look at that game last night, and we were talking about Trey Mancini, and the Orioles had Tyon on the ropes in the first inning. They had the the Mullins and Rutschman both reach to start the to start the game, and Mancini comes up and immediately grounds into a double play. That is a rally killer. It, it's an absolute rally killer. And he swung at the first two pitches coming off of two consecutive walks. Right, right. So you're looking at this and you're saying. All you got to do is not ground into a double play there. You know what I mean? You have to be able to get these runners over. Now, look, guys fail. Baseball is a game of failure, and, and, and I get that. But the Yankees are giving you an early opportunity, and they've been talking about this all year, how the Orioles hitters don't push across runs in the first couple of innings. They're not great at getting out to early leads, and that's why they have to come back so many times, right? They don't score runs early. And Brandon Hyde, they, when they asked him, you know, a couple of weeks ago when they when they were in the midst of that ten game winning streak, what's the thing that this team seems to be clicking on all cylinders? What's the thing that you think they can improve on? And he said, treating every at bat like we treat the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning at bats. Yeah. And for Mancini swinging the first two pitches after two consecutive walks to start the game, and then grounded to a double play, he's swinging himself into a slump, right? And and yeah. the the Orioles have a tendency, this particular team has a tendency to do that, to swing themselves into a slump. Uh, Austin Hayes, you see him, he comes up in a big situation there with the bases loaded, what was it, in the third inning? And he, the first pitch is a slider nine feet inside, and he's hacking away. Yep. And you're automatically taking yourself out of that at bat. We see Ryan Mountcastle do it a lot, and it's like, Treat this at bat like every other at bat, and just try to put a good swing on the ball on a pitch that you can hit. Now it's easier said than done. I play baseball, and it's hard to sit back and wait for your pitch and swing at the right ones. You know, oh, what yeah. I mean? but but these guys are professionals, and they should have this. They should have the ability to uh, to to calm themselves in the moment. Yeah. Again, easier said than done, but I, I will and, give Hayes the benefit of the doubt in that situation with Lucas Lickey coming in to replace Tyon. Um, bases loaded. He's got nowhere to put him. Hayes is probably thinking first pitch, oh, first pitch cutter, but I, I, I could have told you that Licky was going to start him with a, a pitch to chase. I mean, yeah. th- this this happened at the uh, the the walk off against the Angels during the winning streak. Mm-hmm. The Orioles swung and missed at so many first pitch breaking balls late in that game. Of course, they were still able to come through and win it. But I was I was there with my cousin, and and every single first pitch swing and a miss way out in front. The little marquee shows you know eighty four mile an hour slider, and I'd look over at my cousin like again. Mm-hmm. This, this team is has not been good at waiting for their pitch. Um, they want to come out and ambush the pitcher, which on one hand I understand, but you have to make sure you're getting your pitch. Well, and if if you and I know that, 
the other teams know that, and that's why that's why they're doing this. If the book's out on the Orioles, that look, they're looking for that first pitch fastball that's hit dead red on. You're not getting the first pitch fastball, and that's that's why I say I could have told you Licky was going slider there, right? And you know, it's it's and he put a terrible swing on it. It was I'm I don't know if it made pitching ninja or not, but it was a heck of a sword. <laughs> well, the, look, the Orioles were in that game. They made it a ball game in a game where it didn't look like it was a ball game. So, uh, yeah, I feel like we're complaining a lot for a one-run loss to the Yankees. It yeah. was, it, it, you know, for, they, for a team they fought that's, till the end. That's right at or around five hundred, yeah. and has been playing really good baseball for about two months now. Uh, they only need two wins the rest of this month to ensure a winning record. Uh, for two consecutive months. So, look, the Orioles are playing good baseball, and they're playing these teams that are supposed to be better than them pretty tough. And they just haven't they haven't gotten over the hump yet. Now, something that might help them get over the, the hump in the future uh, are these draft picks that the Orioles made last Sunday. And it's amazing it's taken us 23 minutes to get to these draft picks. Uh, look, we only have a limited amount of time. We're going to talk about the draft picks later with Bob Phelan. But the Orioles go Jackson Holiday 1-1. People were clamoring for Drew Jones. This time last year, people were clamoring for Elijah Green. Uh, Tamar Johnson with the tremendous hit tool. How did you feel about the Jackson Holiday pick? My my first reaction was kind of, wow, I, I didn't see that coming. Um, and I, I think that's probably the case for many Orioles fans. I mean, we know Elias keeps things very close to the chest, but um, I don't think many of us saw that pick coming. Uh, I, I'm, I'm thrilled with it, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he seems very similar to Gunnar Henderson in a lot of aspects. Uh, big power from the left-hand side, uh, shortstop, coming out of high school, um, legitimate five-tool guy. You could make the argument that his hit tool is pretty close to Drew Jones, and he plays, uh, or sorry, Tamar Johnson. And uh, even though, t- you know, Tamar Johnson, one of the best high school hitters we've seen in a long time, Holiday's pretty close, and he plays better defense at a more premium position. So, uh, you know, I'm not disappointed with it. It was not an underslot move. They signed him yesterday. I believe it was around 8.1 million. They did sign him for about 700 th- for about 700 thousand dollars less than the bonus slot uh, well allotted there. And but they also signed him for 600 dollars more 600 dollars more than Drew Jones to make him the highest um, paid uh, high school prep. Uh, the, uh, let me start that over to make to give him the highest bonus ever given to a high school player. In the draft, yeah, uh, which was nice, and he just edged out Adley Rutschman for the highest the highest bonus slot ever given to an to an Orioles draftee, yeah, um, which is good to see. They again they saved about seven hundred thousand dollars with with the with the Jackson Holiday pick. Is that something that you were surprised to see that he didn't get the full amount? Uh, a little bit, yeah. Um, you know, I, I say he was not an underslot pick. I mean, technically he was, he didn't get the full amount, but the only number one pick under the new system who was signed for more than the, the bonus slot was Spencer Torkelson just a couple of years ago. So, I mean, even Adley Rushman was by the book under slot. Um, so, you know, I, I can't say it surprised me too much, but you know, you know, when the Orioles take a guy that early, that that's their guy. That was the case with Kowser last year. It was a pick that surprised people. Kowser was their guy all along. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I know Elias is a big fan of Jackson Holiday. You can hear it in his voice when he talks about him. Um, so yeah, I'm 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 thrilled with the pick, and I, I like how they uh, spent the money throughout the draft. I was always a big Matt Holiday fan. That was a guy who I always wanted on the Orioles, and I think that if his son's supposed to be better than he is, that was a solid ball player. Uh, that's then this is despite the fact that he looks like he's 14 years old. Um, that I, might be a little I, generous. Uh, this is a uh, I think this is a home run pick, and yeah. I think that this is hopefully this is a guy that moves quickly. People are saying that he could move quickly, uh, but they got potentially a five tool player. 
uh, with a great pedigree uh, with the one-one pick in Jackson Holiday, and there are no. Com- it was it, if they had taken him, um, Drew Jones or Tamar Johnson, I would have been happier than a pig in crap. Me too. You know what I mean? Yep. So, just want to remind you all that today's show is brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel Maryland, which is the best place to be for all of the big upcoming events. You can bet on every sport with 61 self-service kiosks open 24-7 and watch all the action from the best seat in the house. The best place to watch and bet on every baseball game this season is the FanDuel Sportsbook and start thinking about your plans for football season as mobile betting doesn't look like it will be in place in time for week one. So you'll want to reserve your spot for you and your friends on Thursday nights, Sunday afternoons, and every other game time by emailing events at sportssocialmd.com. Dot com. Ryan's going to sound off for us here while I get Stan the Fan Charles on the line. What you got for us, Ryan? Yeah, so we, we mentioned this a little briefly. Uh, a little a little briefly. <laughs> we mentioned this briefly earlier, I think is what I was trying to say. Um, last night, the Red Sox fell to the Toronto Blue Jays by a score of 28-5. to It was their third consecutive loss. Each have been by more than 10 runs. Before the All-Star break, they lost 13-2 to and 14-1 to to the Yankees, giving them a major league record negative 47 run differential over a three-game span. They were at plus 42 before this three-game losing streak, and now they're at negative five, uh, which is a completely wild uh, 180 that the Red Sox have pulled there. Uh, last night's score was 25-3 to after five innings. It was 27-4 to after six. Of course, we all remember the Orioles' 30-3 to loss to the Texas Rangers. That was in August of 2007. In that game, it was the first of a single-admission doubleheader. The score was 5-3 to after five innings, a six-run ninth. Sorry, a nine-run sixth, six-run eighth, and ten-run ninth helped the Rangers set the record there. The record stood for nearly 15 years. Uh, last night's Boston-Toronto game, though, is not the closest call we've seen since the Orioles set the record in 2007. The Braves beat the Marlins 29-9 to in 2020. Uh, and they did not bat in the bottom of the ninth, so who's no, who knows what could have happened there. A lot of Orioles fans want another team to score 30 or more runs to get our name out of the record books, but honestly, I kind of wear it as a badge of honor. I don't know about you, Paul, but it, it's kind of fun to be able to say that the Orioles have given up the most runs in a game. I don't know if it's because I was there uh, or if I don't have any ill will toward the Rangers, but it's kind of cool to be a part of history. If that 30-3 to loss had been to a team I had disdain for, it's a completely different story. But no, sir. No, I, sir. I, I, know I'm, I know I'm alone on this. No, sir. But I have no desire to be part of that kind of history. We were rooting for the Rangers by the time the game ended. We, you, we wanted uh, no, them to set the record. No, I wanted them to stop swinging. I, I wanted that's them. Fair. I, I wanted them to stop swinging. I had. I, no I understand. Desire. I'm. I'm definitely in the minority here. But I. I kind of. I kind of like how. And whenever a team scores a ton of runs, it's like, oh, can they catch the the Rangers? Ah, uh, can uh, well, I the hope that I, ho- I always hope that they do, so that the Orioles can get out of that record book. And, you know, sure enough, it didn't happen last night, and the Orioles still hold. Uh, there are no parts of me that want any part of that record. Uh, so as soon as somebody scores 31 runs in a game, some team scores, I, I'm, I'm going to— Are we popping champagne? I, I might. I might have to run to the store and get and, and get some mums. There's there's going to be a, just a, a smidge of disappointment for me. Nah. Just a smidge. No, no way. Now, Orioles fans uh, had a smidge of disappointment last night with that loss to the Yankees. Joining us now on the line, Stan the Fan Charles is with us. Stan, first and foremost, good morning to you. How are you today? Good morning to you guys. You're watching that game last night. You're watching Trey Mancini with runners on first and second and nobody out, uh, ground into a double play to kill a rally before it starts. 
the Orioles end up losing that ball game by one run after giving up a run in five straight innings from innings three through seven. This felt like a winnable game that the Orioles managed to lose, Stan, and now they've lost three of the last four. doesn't matter that it's by a combined four runs. They lose three of four after 10-game winning streak once they get back into the AL East. Has your opinion on this team changed or is it still just about the same? I'd say it's just about the same. I mean, uh, I, I wasn't uh, falling under, you know, some crazy illusions that we were really, really ready to compete with, you know, with the better teams in baseball right now. Right, so, right. Now, so, talk- I, I, you know, it's disappointing loss. Uh, it was certainly a winnable game last night. Uh, but, you know, you move on and you, you, you see what you can do yeah, you go out and try and, and get a win in the ball game today for sure. Now, Tyler Wells, Stan, gives up, gives up five runs last night, mainly hurt by Aaron Judge, who has been hurting everybody his entire career. But Wells gives has now given up 11 runs in 14 and two-thirds innings pitched his last three starts, a 523 ERA in July after uh, sub-three ERAs in both May and June. Uh, is is he kind of starting to wear down from the extra innings put on his in his, put on his arm this year? Or is it just one of those things that kind of happens, especially for a young pitcher facing the New York Yankees? I think it's a combination of both. Um, you know, I, I I think you will see uh, fortifications. You know, it's interesting because you brought up him, so I I said, okay, who are our other starters and and roster resource right now? And help me if I'm wrong. Have, have we been going with Wells, Kramer, Watkins, and Lyles? Yes. And then a bullpen game every fifth day? Yeah, and it's, it's usually been that pretty been much involved. what we've done. Yeah. Yeah. For about a month, uh, over a month well, now. Uh, yeah. I'd say that uh, it's time for probably a, an appearance in the majors by Matt Harvey mm-hmm. and D.L. Hall and fortify, fortify this thing. I think it's a combination of both. I don't think. Uh, I don't think this is such a talented quartet of starters that, you know, they should be uh, out there as often as they are. No, yeah. I think that you're, we've all kind of been waiting for the other shoe to drop, especially with a guy like Spencer Watkins and Austin Voth. Um Now, Stan, you mentioned D.L. Hall. Oh, that's right. Voth has been Voth has been the swing, sort of the swing guy. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. He's been okay. going three, four, that. up to five innings, um, and then right. handing it over right. to the bullpen. Now, you mentioned D.L. Hall. D.L. Hall has been dominant uh, for the for the Norfolk Tides for about a month now. Goes out and starts the game for them last night. Only goes the one inning. Do you think the writing is on the wall, given his one inning start last night, that? He's not going to pitch again for the Norfolk Tides. Um, I, you know, I was not aware of that. The length of that start. Uh, mm-hmm. Did he give up any runs? I mean, he, was it he like gave he up, gave up five runs in the first inning? Or no, he, he, like that? he gave up one run on two hits with two strikeouts. It was a, it was a scheduled shortened yeah. outing. Yeah, yeah. I, I I would think that his next appearance is probably in the big league. Yeah, it it would seem to be that way. Yeah, and and, yeah. and I I think that not having him make his big league debut against the New York Yankees is probably what the Orioles planned on doing. They like to bring their prospects up and give them a chance to succeed. And Tampa Bay's lineup, yeah. while decent, it ain't the Yankees. So I I, I do think that we're going to see DL Hall here in this next series. Yeah, it's not it's not the Yankees, but that's one of the other reasons I'm not particularly concerned about Wells or late. The Tampa Bay has a, a habit of uh, 
the second and third times around that the hitters face you. Mm-hmm. They, if, you, if you're in there as a starter, it, you're going to get, you're going to give up some runs. Yeah. I mean, they, they are plucky, you know, they're, they're a pain in the ass to pitch to. No, absolutely. And and look, this is what the Orioles need. They they need to face these buzzsaws because you really need to be – you're not measuring up the talent of your ball club against teams like, you know, the the Texas Rangers and – I, I don't know the 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 Cincinnati Reds yeah, who are coming up. On, when, when we played, when we when we took the when we took the Rangers, I think what two out of three. No, they so, swept them. Three out. Of, they they we swept them. They, they swept they, them. You know they were pretty hot coming into that, so it wasn't like uh, they were. You know that te- Texas team is not a bad team. To, you know offensively, they've got pieces with Semyon and you know and Seager and. Garcia and Low. Yeah, no, no, and, and, and so. it's, it's no slight against those teams. I guess overall, what I meant is you need to see how you match up against the teams in your division because every other team in your division, even the Red Sox, despite their struggles recently, every other team is really good in your division, and so you need to see how you stack up. So facing a tough Yankees team and yep. facing a tough Rays team coming well, out. Well, I of the mean, when you say team. when you say we got to see how we stack up, we kind of knew how we stacked up. True, you know, despite the ten game winning streak. It was, you know, that's that's a that's a thing. We did it. It's mm-hmm. great. It shows you can do it again. But we we kind of knew we weren't better than Boston and Toronto and and Tampa Absol- and the Yankees. No, there, there's no doubt about that. But you, 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 I guess you're trying to see how good is this team because they did win ten straight. And no matter who you're playing, that's a big deal in professional sports. They did win ten I straight. Know, I totally agree. So now Adley Rutschman moved up to the two hole for the first game coming out of the All Star break. He gets on base immediately three times. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think this is where Rutschman hits the rest of the year? And are you at all concerned with Rutschman's drastic splits, where he has been absolutely awful from the right side? Um, you know, it's it's not overall. It's not incredibly surprising that a switch hitter has one side that he's much better than. I didn't, I, I did nothing I had heard or read sort of warned me that he was this, you know, this different a split. You mm-hmm. know? So it's when you say, is it concerning? You know, the days of catching 150, 155 games, you know, by a catcher are long gone. Right. If he catches 120 games and they're all against, you know, uh, right handed starting pitchers. That's that's pretty good. He's you know obviously he's going to be better than the lowest guys on your on your bench, mm-hmm. uh, whichever side he's off of. I mean, I remember um, you, you know it's just it's just it's not surprising, and it's something I think that they'll they'll work around. And I knowing him, I think it's something he can get better at. You know, well, and uh, la- last so. year in the minor leagues, his OPS from the right side was better than his OPS from the left side. So it's not right. like he's never had success from the right side of the plate. Uh, right. it, it, and he has almost three times as many at bats left handed as he does right handed this season. So the sample size is small. You just, I, I know when I see him batting from the right side, I don't expect much at, at this early stage of his career. He also has a batting average on balls in play about seventy points lower from the right hand side from the left hand side, excuse me. So he's 
you know, you expect that to even out a little bit at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. Now, another guy in the lineup in who was hitting second for the bulk of the season is Trey Mancini. His last three games after, he had a three for five game in that first game against Tampa Bay last week. Uh, and But in the three games since then, 0 for 13, seven strikeouts, two walks, eight men left on base. He's batting just 223 in his last 30 games. Are you concerned, because we saw the, the, how hot Trey started the season last year, and then he fell off a cliff the second half. Are you concerned that we're going to see that again this year, or do you just think it's a, just a slump that guys go through? Uh, you know, I, I hadn't, until until I saw your question, uh, you know, in, in our notes that we go over, mm-hmm. I hadn't realized he had been performing that way for 230 for the last 30 games yeah um last year i mean again i hate to bring it up i had him on my fantasy team and as of july 7th or 8th i was totally thrilled with having trey mancini on my team and then after that it was just absolutely abysmal um don't know what to say really right now um i'll have to keep a closer eye on it he he has had some Really miserable at bats the last three games, though. Last yeah, and and, and specifically in big situations with guys on base, and he's not coming through. And and it's look, yeah. th- it's not a knock on Trey Mancini, but you're kind of looking at what made people think, okay, there might not be a spot for him. And this is now two years in a row where he gets off to a hot start, and the next thing you know, he has a prolonged stretch where he's been ineffective at the plate. So yeah. it's, it's worth monitoring, especially with the trade day deadline being just 10 days away and the Mets have shown in great interest in Trey Mancini. It's worth monitor, monitoring to see if he can pull himself out of this. And you also have to understand how much of this is because of the trade chatter and maybe he's feeling a little down that he knows that there's a good chance he's going to be traded. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I can't quantify that sure. at all. Um, it's interesting that the Mets, I saw him as mostly a designated hitter for the Mets. He's not going to play first base over Pete Alonso. Right. Uh, and it's interesting that they made a small trade, but might have significance in terms of uh, an attempt to acquire Trey Mancini. Mm-hmm. Uh, they picked up Dan Vogel back to uh, platoon uh, at designated hitter yesterday. Yeah, I think that... So, it, I, you know, I don't know where... I'm not saying there aren't other teams interested in in, uh, in Trey, but uh, that, that was a little surprising that they, the Mets made that kind of move. Oh, for, I for thought sure. they were aiming for bigger... I thought they were kind of aiming for bigger fish, like a Josh Bell or a Trey Mancini. Yeah, uh, well, we'll see how things go um, as, as we approach the deadline here. Again, 10 days away from that trade deadline. Um, but I do I do find it interesting that the local talking heads are talking about the Orioles and how they could be in on Blake Snell or um, Pablo Lopez or Whit Merrifield to a certain degree. What do you think are some realistic moves that the Orioles will make by the deadline? Because I don't know that they're going to be buyers and I don't know that they're going to be sellers. I think they're going to trade the guys that make sense to, to trade. But I don't know that we're going to see any surprising moves from this team. Well, first of all, I'd have I'd have very little interest in Blake Snell. I, I just that, that guy's personality, you know. And again, I don't know him. I haven't sat down in a room with him. I haven't interviewed him. But his, uh, I, I know he's got a, a very talented arm. Um, 
but I have very little interest on him. Mm. He seems like a very selfish guy. That, that's my impression of him. Sure. I'll, I'll never forget that World Series where he walked off the mound and was mumbling to himself, you know, and you know he was mumbling about Kevin Cash, mm-hmm. you know, what the hell's he doing here taking me out of this game and all that. Uh, very, very seems to be a very self-centered performer. And his performance has, frankly, not been anywhere near what, you know, uh, I wouldn't give you a bag of balls for him right now. So there's there's nothing that that you've – I look at Blake Snell. I mean, look, Paco Lopez, Paco Lopez is an interesting guy to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know exactly what the Mets would be looking for. I mean, the Marlins would be looking for from us. There was a Trey Mancini-Paco Lopez trade. I'd like to get a little bit more, but you know we got to pick up pitching some way. Well, I'll, I'll tell you that the, the Trey Mancini isn't enough to get them Pablo Lopez from the Marlins. That, that guy's yep. one of the young up and coming arms uh, yep. in, in baseball. It's probably going to take one of your prospects uh, along with maybe Anthony Santander. I don't know that they would do that in a package for Trey Mancini. Uh, but but yep. but Blake Snell, getting back to him momentarily here, Stan. I look at what the Orioles have been able to do, um, what their pitching um, coaches and their analytics department has been able to do with guys like Austin Voth and uh, all these waiver claims that they mm-hmm. have in their bullpen. And it makes it intrigues me at the very least to think about what they could do with an arm like Blake Snell. Now, again, you mentioned his, his mental makeup, and maybe this is a guy who would need to kind of get get a nice serving of some humble pie. But if they can, if he can do that, and the Orioles can get him, I'd be very interested to see what they could do with an arm like that, with what they've done with all these other guys. Does that does that thought um, creep into your mind? It it creeps in my mind, but I'll tell you what creeps in my mind is the Orioles had an amazingly talented left hand pitcher about twelve thirteen years ago named Eric Bedard, mm-hmm. and he was a jackass, and he stayed a jackass his entire career. That's true. That's and, true. and he really never. Certain people have makeup problems, and I he's he's not a guy I I prioritize that we you know that that I'd want to want to get. Hey, you know what? I understand. You can say the same thing though for Matt Harvey, where he was a jackass until he got a huge dose of humble pie, and he seems to be like a guy a, right. a guy who is trying to make his way and you know really did did well for himself last year enamoring himself with the Orioles clubhouse so we'll see what kind of moves that they have uh coming up here in the next 10 days or so now Stan before we let you go we'd be remiss if we didn't talk to you about the Orioles draft because they had the first pick in the draft and they take uh Jackson Holiday has that great family pedigree coming from Matt Holiday who was a solid ball player his entire career they got potentially a five tool uh player at shortstop with the first overall pick were you surprised it was Jackson Holiday? How do you feel about the pick, and how do you feel about the Orioles draft overall? Well, I I love the the pick. Uh, that was a player that I sort of had uh, in talking to a couple baseball people, and most notably Jim Bowden. Mm-hmm. He just really lit up when you know. I mean, he talked about how great Drew Jones was, and he goes, "I think they're going to pick either Jones or or this Matt Holiday," and and he started talking about holiday and he was just just lit up talking about the hit tool um and when i hear about a player that sort of self-diagnosed or or if you want to say he self-diagnosed with his dad and his uncle perhaps Mm -hmm. what he had to do to 
to up his game and you you listen to all the baseball people talk about how uh, you know a year ago he was like a borderline late first or you know nobody said he was a second round talent but he was late first round and he moved himself up into that top 5 and uh ended up at 1-1 right um i just like the i just like the pick i'm very excited about that pick yeah, I, I am too, and I think that the Orioles' future just got even brighter than it already was, uh, getting the player like Jackson Holiday, And again, I can't say enough how much I loved Matt Holiday as a player, how much I wanted him on the Orioles. And if his son's supposed to be better, then that's a player that I, that I'd love to see the Orioles pick. Stan, what do you have coming yeah, up for Matt, us? Matt Holliday, Matt, Holliday, Matt Holliday was always a makeup guy, just the mm. opposite of a Blake Snell. Yeah. Always loved his makeup, you know. Yeah. Uh, what do I have coming up? Yes, sir. Ross and I are uh, working on our Monday night uh, guest, uh, and I may do something on Tuesday morning with Ray Schulte, who is the um, sort of the director of the National Collectibles Convention, which is being held in Atlantic City starting this Wednesday. Mm-hmm. We had Gary Stein and I had him on last Thursday night, but we had some technical problems and we bagged it after about 10 minutes. And Gary and I just talked amongst ourselves. So I'm trying to fit him back in. We may do something with him Tuesday morning from the floor of the Atlantic City Convention Hall. Thursday at 6 o'clock, Gary Stein and I have Mike Loxley on. Sure. Yeah, and we're looking forward to that with Maryland potentially being a... uh being a, a far better team than they've been in years past after winning that bowl game against Virginia Tech last year. And they look like an up-and-coming team in the Big Ten. And uh, I think that we would be very interested to see what Mike Loxley has to say about his team as they enter uh, college training camp. All right, Stan, All thank right. you how so you much. In, how you doing in, how you doing in the new studio? I really am, a nice room. It's a, it's a nice room. I'm getting used to a different, to a, the same setup as far as everything that we have to use, but a different setup with the camera and the seating and the, a gotcha. little bit less space. Gotcha. I'm figuring it out, though. So, Stan, right, we'll good. talk to you next week, we'll t- and uh, have a great week, All okay? Right. Thank you. Thanks, okay. Stan. Okay. Talk to you later. bye And that was Stan the Fan Charles joining us for his weekly segment here on The Bataround. Just want to remind you that Stan has two great shows for you every week. Every Monday night, Stan and former Orioles pitcher Ross Grimsley visit with a different guest from the world of baseball. And every Thursday night, Stan and Gary Stein chat with a different newsmaker from the world of sports. This week, Stan hosted an MLB draft roundtable with uh, with Danny Black and our own Zach Goodman. Find those shows under the videos tab at facebook.com slash pressboxsports or at pressboxonline.com slash video. As Stan mentioned, he and Ross are back with another great show on Monday, potentially Tuesday morning. It is TBD. Then on Thursday night, Stan and Gary welcome Maryland football coach Mike Loxley as the Maryland Terrapins look to improve upon their successful 7-6 and six, uh, bowl winning Bowl game winning season from a year ago. So before we catch our break here, Ryan, what are your thoughts overall on the Orioles and where they are as a team right now? It's you'd like to see them win some of these close games. I like that they're playing in close games, but it's never not going to sting when they lose a game to the Yankees. Yeah, especially you know being down at the stadium. Those are the games that you really want to win. I mean. Right. The stadium, you know, we come in last night. I was, I thought there were going to be a lot of Orioles fans out there last night, and there were, but there were just as many Yankees fans at the stadium. No matter how good the Orioles are, it's always that way. The only time it hasn't felt that way was down the stretch in 2012 when, mm-hmm. uh, 
the Orioles were tied for first place right. in September. I remember. Yankees came to town. It's Cal Statue Night. That was the first time in my life that I could remember the Yankees starting lineup being announced and getting booed instead of cheered for. Uh, I remember I went to that game, and my yeah. dad and I walked into the ballpark right as Matt Wieters was hitting a home run in the first inning, and it was a sea of... It, it, it was beautiful. It was a sea of orange, and like I, I remember thinking, this is different. This, this is different. Now, of yeah. course, that was also the same series where CC Sabathia broke Nick Marquez's thumb, this and is true. Uh, something I'll never, I'll never forget. I believe that was the next night, wasn't it? Uh, yes, it, it, yeah, it, which was very frustrating to say the least. Yeah. But um, but, but anyway, to, to answer your question, um, it, it, you know, I, I think this team has been exciting. Um, they, you can tell the vibe around this team is that games that typically would have been over in the fourth inning. Are, the Orioles are right back in mm-hmm. by the sixth or seventh. Um, there, there's a lot of excitement. I, you know, I think there are a lot of uh, moving moving pieces that will still, you know, the, the puzzle is still coming together. Um, we're going to see start start to see some of those pieces. Sorry, I can't get those words out. Uh, coming together soon, at, you know, with the trade deadline and potential call-ups. Um, but it's exciting. You know, I, do I think this team we, – we, we had this 10-game winning streak, right? We get to 500. And now the expectation is the Orioles are a 500 team, and mm-hmm. oh, they might be in the wild card hunt. This isn't a this isn't supposed to be a 500 baseball team, right? I think realistically, we are still looking at you know. I think it's going to be a team that's going to finish in last place. Mm-hmm. I think they're still going to lose maybe 90 games. That that might be a little a little high, but I, I think they'll push that number. Um, and there's going to be some rough stretches. You know, it's it's not all sunshine and rainbows. Uh, we had that 10-game winning streak. It's great. Even when we're losing, it's not by much. But there's been a little bit of overperforming, especially with the starting rotation. You know, you mentioned Spencer Watkins. If you look at his baseball savant page, it's a ton of blue. He's not going to continue pitching at the high level that he has lately. So you're going to need guys like D.L. Hall, Matt Harvey to, to come in and step up. Tyler Wells to, you know, continue to be an anchor for this rotation. You need Dean Kramer to stay hot. And... Can you rely on all those things at once? Probably not. Right. So, you know, not everything's going to click at once. The 10-game winning streak was fun. I think we're going to have more fun stretches like that. Um, but overall, I think we still need to temper our expectations and, and you know, plan for the future. Yeah, and look, let's let's be honest about this. Uh, the Yankees and the Rays are still better than the Orioles. They, yes. they, they just are. It, it's nice that the Orioles they're are playing. They're supposed to be. Uh, they, right. They, they're 100% supposed to be. And the fact that the Orioles are playing them tight, is nice. If they get some wins, that's nicer, right? But any yes. anything that you any wins that you get against the Yankees and the Rays right now to me is a bonus. And I, I look at this fa- at the fact that you know they they come out of the All Star break with seven straight at home against. It, it's good that they're at home, and I don't think that they're going to get swept by the Yankees. And I I think that they could win two of those four games, maybe three of the. They could win three of those four games against Tampa Bay. I, I'd be happy with a split. If they get three wins in this seven-game stretch, that's 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 three and four uh, coming out of the All-Star break. You're a game under 500, and then you have a nine-game stretch against Cincinnati, Texas, and Pittsburgh. And you can get. And the thing is, the Orioles could go seven and two in that stretch, and the, uh, find themselves four games above 500. And then fans are going to be, oh, this team is in it. They're in it, and if they didn't do something drastic at the deadline, they they should have balled at the deadline. And then they're going to have to face Toronto and Boston and New York for another three games and Tampa Bay again. And and it's they got 13 games against the Toronto Blue Jays, who just bludgeoned the Red Sox last night, 28 to five. They've got 13 more games 
against the Blue Jays. Yeah. Look, this team's probably going to finish below 500. They're probably going to finish in last place in the division. I'm not totally convinced of that, and I don't think that they're going to be 20 games under 500 at the end of the year, but they're probably a sub-500 team. But what we've seen from this team this year is a team that's gritty, is a team that's never out of a game, that fights back, that believes in itself, that, you know, while I believe that they'll finish below 500, I can also see them finishing above 500 because they really believe that they should win every game that they play. You know, do, and, yeah. and I mean, uh, Jorge Lopez told TMZ the other day that the Orioles are absolutely World Series contenders. Yeah, what's he supposed to say? Right, right exactly. It's like when they asked Joe Flacco if he if he considers himself considers himself elite. Actually, yeah. our, our press box's own Glenn Clark is the one who asked that question. Oh, very um, nice. Um, He's supposed to say, yeah, no, I, I'm not I, as good I, as this I don't guy. I think so. You know, you there's, want that there's guy a on lot your of team? other really more talented guys than me, I think. Yeah, of course, if you ask Jorge Lopez of the Orioles World Series contest, yeah. What's he supposed yeah, to say? You exactly. know, and then you know Trey Mancini saying that this team believes that they can win every single ball game. You know what I mean? And and that being five hundred isn't enough for them. That's nice. Go out and do it. Yeah. And going out and doing it is easier said than done. You know, and and look, if they turn it around and they win, they they win the next two games in this series against the Yankees, and then they they split with Tampa Bay and say they go in three and four, they go four and three, or maybe five and two in the the. Then I'll be like, okay, this team's got something here, and they do have something here. They, they do. do have something here. Absolutely. It's just not enough to be where people think that they could be just because they had a 10-game winning streak and they got above 500 for a game. Yep. You know, th- this is a team that they're on, the, they're on the come up, but they're not there yet. Right. You know, and, you know, I, I, I do like the fact that I think it's changing Mike Elias' plans for this team for 2023. I think, yes. I, I think it's changing his plans for the team. I think that we're looking at a busier offseason than maybe we would have otherwise. Uh, and we're going to talk about that in Orioles banter here coming up in a little bit, um, where maybe Mike Elias is going to be calling up some prospects. Maybe he's going to be signing some big-time free agents in the offseason or something more notable than Jordan Lyles at the very least um, to make because this team is pretty darn close to being a, a, a at least a wild-card contender. So at the very least, if, the, if what we get out of the season that the Orioles hover around 500, finish a few games below 500, but then they really go for it in the offseason and they're a contender next year, I think we all would have signed up for that in blood back oh, in March. Oh, for sure. And not, not one last last final point here, not to discredit anything that Stan said, but you know, talking about potential acquisitions, I would be thrilled with Blake Snell. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, I... I I agree with his points about his makeup. Maybe he's not the the exact type of guy you want in the clubhouse. But if this is a salary dump move by the Padres to clear up some space, and the Orioles can you know get him for cheap, I'm I'm all about that. The guy who's only a few years removed from a 21 win season, where you want to Cy Young and pitch to a 1.89 ERA. The the stuff's there. And, and and honestly, and again, not to not to we we do this show. We don't have to agree with everything any everybody says. You know what I mean? So I'll disagree with Stan on the fact that anybody would have been pissed to be pulled out of a World Series game where you need that victory. It's Game Six. You're down three games to two, and he was pitching very well. He's pitching very well. He's got what sixty three pitches yeah. in the sixth inning with one out, and they're pulling him out of the ball game. I'd have been pissed. You'd have been pissed. People over in China would have been pissed. It, it's it's anybody would have been upset with that. I'd have been mumbling under my breath. I'm upset when I get taken out of games now, and I'm and yeah. I play in a in a rec league. If if that was Max Scherzer being pulled from the mound instead of Snell, we all would have been you know. Look at how what, gritty what he is, is. Yeah, right. What is and, Kevin Cash doing? You know, Max Scherzer has every right to be mad. And we all were like that anyway. Everybody was 
their mind, their brains were exploding when he takes Blake Snell out in that yeah. in that situation. So, um, I would I would be thrilled with Blake Snell too. And uh, again, we're going to talk about this at, in Orioles banter in about forty in about thirty minutes. Um, but first, we got to get our first break. I want to remind you that today's show is brought to you by your local Toyota dealers. Whether your focus is luxury and comfort, convenience and technologically advanced connectivity, or sporty performance and aggressive styling, we've got the perfect Highlander for you. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Highlanders from your local Toyota dealer today. It's the Battle Round. Get your tickets now for the premier high school lacrosse games of the year. The 17th annual All-America Lacrosse Boys and Girls Senior All-Star Games will be on Saturday, July 30th at Johns Hopkins Historic Homewood Field. This is your chance to see the future lacrosse stars up close and in person as they showcase why they are the best in the country. Go to allamericalacrosse.com and get your tickets now. Summer is in full swing, and so is the summer seasonal menu at Glory Days Grill. Start with the opener, flash fried pork belly with their popular Korean number two sauce, and try their South Carolina barbecue chicken, or back by popular demand, the lobster roll with grilled corn. Also try the irresistible crab and lobster fries, or the very berry salad with chicken. And for dessert, the Cracker Jack Sunday with a waffle, ice cream, and Cracker Jacks. This menu will be going, going, gone. Find out more and get your order in at glorydaysgrill.com. Glory Days Grill, great food, good sports. I'm Griffin Bass, and I have the extraordinary, mind-blowing, and life-affirming pleasure of being the new producer for the absolute funniest, smartest, and most handsome sports host in all of Baltimore. Wait a second, Glenn, I'm working for you, not Jeremy Kahn. If you're not listening to Glenn Clark Radio, here's what you're missing. He's Coach Kevin Willard. Glenn, thanks for having me. Baltimore Ravens wide receiver, Rashad Bateman. Thank you, I appreciate it. He is outfielder Cedric Mullins. Thank you guys for having me. Trey Mancini. Thanks for having me on, guys. Mr. Marcus Williams, who's now with us. Man, I appreciate it. Happy to be on. Ravens kicker Justin Tucker. Thanks for having me. Adley Rutschman. Absolutely, thanks for having me on. John Angelos. Thanks a lot, good to be with you. Ryan Mountcastle. Thanks for having me on, guys. Marlon Humphrey. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Talia Tungavailoa. Thank you guys for having me. He is J.K. Dobbins. Thank you for having me. I had a great time. The great Ray Lewis. Always good to be on. He is Mr. Cal Ripken Jr. Good chatting with you. Watch Glenn Clark Radio at youtube.com slash pressboxonline and listen live at pressboxonline.com slash radio or anytime on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or anywhere you get your podcasts. The Toyota Tacoma comes in a wide range of models and trim lines. You can choose the perfect Toyota to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. Stan the Fan here, welcoming back one of my favorite sponsors, the Costas Inn. And everybody around Baltimore knows the Costas Inn is a great place to go and grab crabs, steaks, salads, soups, whatever's on your mind to eat in person. But did you know that the Costas Inn has upped their game? They are now one of the premier takeout places in Baltimore. Give them a call now to order your food, 410-477-1975. That's the Costas Inn, over 4100 North Point Boulevard. 
Sports sports fans, the wait is over. The all-new FanDuel Sportsbook is now open at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover, Maryland. This is your chance to win big right in your own backyard. Bet on every sport with self-service kiosks and watch all of the action from the best seat in the house. Make every moment more at the all-new FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover. Please play responsibly. Gambling problem? Please call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit mdgamblinghelp.org. All right, welcome back to the Battle Round. We are into our number two of the show today. The first hour was brought to you again by the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel Maryland, which is the best place to be for all of your big upcoming events where you can bet on every sport with 61 self-service kiosks open 24-7, and you can watch all the action from the best seat in the house. The best place to watch and bet on every baseball game this season is the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino in Hotel Maryland and start thinking about your plans for football season as mobile betting doesn't look like it will be in place in time for week one. So you're going to want to reserve your spot for you and your friends on Thursday nights, Sunday afternoons, and every other game time by emailing events at sportssocialmd.com. That's events at sportssocialmd.com. Joining us for the first time ever on the batter round, formerly of the Baltimore Sun, and the schmuck stops here. The schmuck stops at Press Box Sports now. He is writing for BaltimoreBaseball.com. He is Peter Schmuck. Good morning, Peter, and welcome to the Battle Round. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thank you for uh, for coming on. Now, Peter, the last I heard, you were re- retiring from the Sun, and I thought you were moving out to California, but now you're back with BaltimoreBaseball.com. Are you on the East Coast, or did we call you at about 8 o'clock in the morning? No, I, I I don't know where that uh, impression started. I've never intended to move back to L.A. I've been here for, I've been here for thirty years. Um, there's nobody nobody back there for me. Um, but uh, no, I did retire from the Sun a couple of years ago, and then I re, uh, I retired or resigned from WBAL radio doing the political show on Saturdays. Or about now, I'd be doing it right now. But I'm here with you. Um, a few months ago, and uh, so I'm a free agent, and <laughs> uh, decided to just do a little something for BaltimoreBaseball.com. I'm only on, uh, I'm only in, in on on the site about three times a month, but it's a gives me an opportunity to be at the at the stadium, uh, not be a guy that's just hanging around, which uh, I don't want to be, uh, and it's been a nice opportunity. And the guys over at BaltimoreBaseball.com do a great job. No, they, they absolutely do. You're doing a great job over there. And I don't know that it's a coincidence, Peter, that uh, you come back writing about the Orioles and suddenly they have the best team they've had in five years. Do we owe the credit to Peter Schmuck? <laughs> uh, probably not. I, 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 you know, I, I'm, sure they, I'm sure they've been taking a lot of advice from me over the years and uh, all the time that I was around them. Most of the time I was around them, including 14 straight losing seasons, it wasn't good. So it might be the other way around. So <laughs> I'll try to keep my They're playing pretty well. They're playing some really exciting baseball. I, I don't know where it goes from here. I mean, it's tough to stand up the Yankees uh, starting rotation. Um, we'll see. Yeah, the next, the next week that next next week is going to be really, really telling, and we'll see what happens. They, they played hard. They they hung in there last night. They came back, fell a little bit short. Um, but they get Garrett Cole coming up, and some, uh, and 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 uh, they they haven't figured out a way to get Aaron Aaron Judge out. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah they've never 
figured out a way to get Aaron Judge out. It's been certainly frustrating. And look, you mentioned this game against the Yankees, and fans have been rallying behind this resilient Orioles team. But does the lack of success in the last four games against the Rays and the Yankees serve as a reminder that the team just maybe isn't quite there yet? Well, I think everybody knows the team isn't quite there yet. The question mm-hmm. is how far can they get anyway? Um, and yes, uh, they're going to have a tough time against the best teams. Uh, those are the top two teams in, in the top division. Um, but they have not been embarrassed by anybody. Oh, by no and, stretch. You know, and I, 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 I use the best example here uh, of, of just how resilient they are was a series they lost to the Minnesota Twins, first place Minnesota Twins, where they outplayed the Minnesota Twins for 25 out of 27 innings. Mm-hmm. And they lost two games because uh, Jorge uh, Lopez had two bad games. Right. You know, he said it's been absolutely terrific. He had back-to-back bad games, gave up home runs in both, and uh, and they lost two out of three there in a series they essentially dominated except for six outs. Yeah, no, it, it, that was that that could have been a twelve game winning streak instead of a ten game winning streak, and and it's nice to see them play that well against a first place ball club, and it really just shows you how much of a beast the AL East truly is. That they're beating the they're beating good teams in the other divisions, and then they play the teams in their own division. Look, they they've played Tampa Bay well this year. They have a winning record against the Red Sox. They split their series with the Blue Jays, so it's not like they're 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 getting beat up on. But four and ten against the Yankees, and it kind of reminds you that this is the tough his division in baseball for a reason. And with that in mind, Peter, uh, do you think that the Orioles are staying true to the rebuild when it comes to the deadline uh, by selling off some players like Trey Mancini, potentially Jorge Lopez? I think Anthony Santander is a lock to go. What do you think this team does at the deadline? Not necessarily uh, sellers, but definitely not buyers. Yeah, I I mean, you're you're definitely not not buyers, uh, although it's not impossible that they package up some of these players or one or two of these players and get somebody who's, who plays this year, mm-hmm. as opposed to being somebody who's a, who's a single-A prospect. Um, I, 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 I'm really caught in the middle on this because the thing that stands out is if, if, if they were going to get tremendous value for Trey Mancini, uh, Anthony Santander, Santander, and uh, – and Jorge Lopez, then I think they would do that. I think I think they know they're not going to win the World Series this year. Right. I, I think they they keep the team together. They've got a long shot chance to to grab the last playoff berth. And it's a real long shot. I mean, if you look at what their schedule looks like, and and in, in fairness to them, uh, dating back to May first, I guess it was, they have a winning record against the AL East. Mm-hmm. Or the you know I don't know what the date is, but there's a you know there's a there's a uh, overall, overall record against the AL East. Uh, if you take away, uh, you know, a couple of early sweeps, and, and they've played very, very well again in their own division. Um, so, you know, it may come down to whether they can really knock around teams like the Cincinnati Reds, who, who they'll be playing in a week or so. Uh, so, it's, it's. Uh, uh, I, I think he stays true to the rebuild if he can really get something out of it. But I'm, I'm dubious about that. I think we can go back to the Manny Machado uh, fire sale uh, a few, few years ago, mm-hmm. and, and you saw that even with a player like Manny Machado, you didn't really get that much. I mean, it, it, right. it sounded good on the front end, and, and a couple of those players have, have, have been valuable. Um, but people, these rental players that are not signed, uh, and that, that would be the case with, with uh, Trey, um, you know, they're getting them for two months. 
And so it's very hard to get get a real real unless you just unless you just uh, outthink them, uh, out research them on one of their own players, and you figure out one of their own players is better better than they think that he, that that player is. And I'm sure that uh, the Orioles brain trust it, thinks they're capable of doing that. And they may be capable of doing that. They've done a pretty good job of putting together this bullpen and this pitching staff out of whole cloth. I mean, you're talking about guys. Be honest. There are several guys in this bullpen you'd never heard of. Oh, I'd never heard of. They have five waiver claims in there. Right. And so um, you got to give them credit for being able to do that. And it took a while. I mean, they didn't, they didn't have that kind of success a year or two ago. They brought in a lot of people who didn't do anything. Right. Um, but they're getting there. And, and now you're seeing uh, players like Austin Hayes and, and obviously Cedric Mullins, who's silver bat winner last year, um, that, that, that are coming into their own. And they're real. They're solid. They're quality players. I mean, uh, Ryan Mountcastle is a couple of tweaks away from being an absolute dominant player, dominant hitter. He, yep. He's still, he's, he, he's still got a little Adam Jones on the slider outside in him. Um, and, uh, uh, and he, he still, he still gets himself in bad counts and he's good enough to get out of him a lot. That's what tells me that he's going to get better because mm-hmm. he's not going to always be, be fooled. Um, and, and you, you know, you're seeing these guys that are, that are coming around and guys that have surprised us like, uh, uh, Ramon, Ramon uh, who has just been fantastic since he came back from injury. Yep. Um, and, 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 and the one thing that really stands out other than the, and the uh, completely shocking performance of the pitching staff after last year is that they have one of the best defenses in baseball. And they and it's not just a great defense. It's a highlight real defense. Right. And that, that's helped to bring last night. It was a, Thanks, thanks to the Yankee fans who are really excited about their first place team. That was a heck of a crowd last night. And mm-hmm. I was there and, it was a it was a crowd where you know the let's go Orioles let's go Yankees were dueling and there's nothing wrong with that we can use all the Yankee fans just for keep them coming yeah. and feed some revenue into this team and put this team in a position to really compete with them. Yeah. Now uh, they have some guys in their farm system who they could be adding as early as this year to the major league roster that could help the Orioles get more competitive this year and in years to come. Uh, guys like Jordan Westbrook, Gunnar Henderson, Kyle Stowers, to name a few. Uh, how likely do you think we are to see? I don't know that we see Gunnar Henderson this year, but how likely are we to see Jordan Westbrook? And I think Kyle Stowers is a guy who's probably right around the corner from being on this major league roster. Yeah, I think if you're right and that you think it's a no-brainer that uh, Anthony Santander gets traded, I, I don't think it's no-brainer because I just don't know what they're going to get. You know, right. I mean, yes, uh, I, I think that I think they could plug in Stowers in left field or left field, right field when they, you know, move uh, Austin Hayes around depending on where they need his arm. Um, I think you're. I, I think if if they trade Anthony Sant, Sant, Santander, I I still have trouble get, adjusting to the many. In, uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's all right. So, so the broadcasters. His, it's okay. Everybody does. It's, yeah, it's not just you. Yeah, it, many iterations of of Anthony's name, but Anthony's a great kid, and he's a good player. I just don't know what you get for him, and if you don't get much for him, why why would you mess with this? Yeah. Uh, but if you if if they are going to move him because this because Stowers can't wait, well, great. Then they're going to have a very very good defensive outfielder for a long long time, and and that's a start, and and. And something that no one's really talking about much right now, but uh, uh, Mateo is starting to hit. Yeah, and he and, is. It, and if he is if he is learning, if he's finally starting to again, he's recognizing some pitches he didn't recognize a month ago, and he has he has made some put in some really good swings on the ball. Did again yesterday, 
Um, if he's if he's gonna if he's gonna hit the rest of the season and they don't make massive changes, well, I mean, who knows? I mean, they're only a few games out of the wild card. Who knows what happens? Right. Yeah, uh, they, they, I, I do think that they're going to need some help with that starting rotation, and I think that a guy that could help them is D.L. Hall. Do you read anything into the fact that he got the start last night and they and it was a scheduled shortened outing? He only went the one inning. Do you read anything into that, or is it just kind of trying to ease him in after the break? Um, I think you can read whatever you want into it. Sure. I, I, I mean, it's, I mean, if you're going to send him out there for a tune-up outing, you're not, you're going to, you're not going to take him out after one inning. I, I think that, I mean, uh, they insist he's not hurt, which is kind of important. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I believe them. I mean, I, I think the minute they took him out, we all thought, well, a couple things could be happening. Jordan Lyles, is the maybe they realize they need somebody tomorrow, but then the more I think about it, um, if you pitched an inning today, you usually, no matter what, you wouldn't warm a guy up and then bring him back the next day. So, so, um, but you know, maybe, uh, maybe they want to trot him out on Monday. I, who knows? I mean, he's going to be here soon. You know, one of these days. Um, I think you're, I think you're correct on Gunnar Henderson. I think it's possible that they might see him in, in September. They have to need something. They'd have to, uh, you know, lose, lose somebody so that they need him to come in and help. And I, I don't think that's going to happen. So it, when and if D.L. Hall does get here, and I think it's a matter of when, not if, um, how much do you think he can really help this ball club? And what do you envision his role being? Is he going to be one of those guys like an Austin Voth who you look to get three to four innings out of? Or do they put him in the rotation and say, you know, if you can get to six innings on 80 pitches and go six innings on 80 pitches? Uh, I would hope that they just, Go ahead. Listen, this is the one. This is this might be the last year where you're a laboratory of discovery. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I, I I don't think you just bring him up here and let him sit in the bullpen for some mop up outings. I think I think you want to know. I think you're 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 projecting this guy to not just be a part of your rotation, be a good part of your rotation. Right. So you know I I I, I think some people were texting me saying you don't throw him in front of the Yankees, do you? And I go, um. You know, for his major league debut, why not? It's going to be a thrill for him if they hit four home runs in the first inning. It's going to be his major league debut. Right. You know, so he's I mean, going to have to face him eventually. You know, and, and it shows you what you think of him, and, and, and no one's seen him, and he goes out there, and if he can handle the nerves, and, and, and he throws three or four good, decent innings against the Yankees or whoever, then that's a great start for him. It's a great beginning. And, and so, no, I, I wouldn't protect him too much. I mean, I'd protect him innings-wise. Right. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't like hide him from anybody. I think, you know, if he's going to be a good major leaguer, he's going to be a good major leaguer, and and it, and you might as well get started when it's time. Yeah, and, and that brings me to my next point. You're looking at potentially having a rotation next year with uh, Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall, and at some point you're expecting John Means to be back, hopefully in the first half of the season. This rotation could be shaping up, and, and you you're, you could be getting better innings out of Tyler Wells with the, wheel, with, with the restraints taken off of him next year. Do the Orioles stand pat with their rotation with the guys that they think are going to be in the rotation next season do they stand pat in the off season or do you think that they go out and add another free agent arm that can really bolster a a, a young rotation i think that they understand what happened with john means and grayson rodriguez can happen any year any time so if there's a chance uh to get a a, a, a decent starting starting pitcher as they did with jordan lyles uh, I think they will do that, but I don't think they, I don't think they're going to go out and spend two hundred million dollars on somebody. 
I mean, I, I don't think they're at that point yet. You, you know, most, most teams that aren't the Yankees and the Dodgers don't spend that money until they are, until that player makes them a World Series winning team. Um, so, and this team is certainly not, uh, is still, is still, is still suffering from Albert Bell's. So I think that, but, it, but if they could find a, a usable, you know, a decent six or seven inning guy, um, yeah, I think they would go ahead and bolster the, the depth of the rotation. But I really personally, I'm, I am very impressed with the progress, uh, that Tyler Wells has made and that, uh, uh, Kramer has made uh, and what they've shown so far. And I think when you're looking at a rotation of John Means, uh, Kramer, Wells, um, and perhaps Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall, as, as, as your growing young rotation, I can't, I don't think you, I, at this point, I don't think you decide, you know, we got to have a Max Scherzer because they're not, right. they, they probably can't afford it anyway. Right. No, and and that that is that is a fair point that the Orioles aren't going to be swimming in the same financial waters as the Dodgers and the Yankees and even the the, the Red Sox. Um, and you noted in your uh, article for BaltimoreBaseball.com that they will never be the Yankees or the Nationals worrying about a star player turning down over four hundred million dollars. Now, does that mean that you never expect this team to be major players for the marquee free agents, or you just don't expect them to be uh, players for the elite of the elite? No, I, I, I don't, I'm not saying it never happens. Mm -hmm. I'm saying it doesn't happen, uh, in, in the normal course of business. And so when you're talking about, let's say, uh, um, they, this, uh, let's say they, if, if they, if they have a one Soto type of player going into free agency, mm -hmm. who's going to get the kind of money one Soto is going to command, they're probably going to do what they did with Manny Machado, unless they have reached a point where they are you know, going to be projected as the first or second place team in the American League East. And, and that could happen three years from now, or it could happen never. And, yeah. and, and, you know, it's going to be very hard to compete no matter what year in and year out. It's, it's going to continue to be very hard to compete with the Yankees, Red Sox, and Blue Jays. They're in totally different economic worlds. But that doesn't mean that, I mean, the Houston Astros are, are, are closer to being the Orioles than they are to being the Yankees. But they did it. When the time came, they did it. Mm-hmm. They got the guy, okay, and that's what I think you look at with the Orioles that it, that that it, 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 they get up to a certain point. Now there's another wild card into this thing, and that's if the Orioles are sold to some big money con uh, concern, whether that be just some billionaire who wants a baseball team or some conglomeration of of people that that are really bringing a lot of money to the table, um, and maybe they change the philosophy of the team. But under the Angel Angelos ownership, which to their credit, they tried to do that. They tried to do it in the 90s. They spent tons of money in the 90s. They fell a little bit short in the 96 and 97. Right. Um, but, and then they reached a point after the Albert Bell fiasco, which, by the way, is really an overrated thing because they had insurance. They only lost about 10 or $12 million in Albert Bell. Oh, wow. They, 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 spent, they, 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 paid, they, they signed him for $65 million and they had him for two years. So they, and he played well. Mm -hmm. Um, and then after that, when the contract became, uh, moot or, or, uh, you know, was completely, uh, lost, they had insurance that paid, uh, uh, almost a, a huge percentage of it. And right. so it wasn't, a, it wasn't a big body blow. All it was, was something that told Peter Angelos, I don't want to do this again, uh, because this is what can happen. And after, by the way, 
most people don't know that the Albert Bell contract made it very hard going forward for any sports franchise to get that level of insurance on a contract again. That was the first time they ever paid off that big on anything. Wow. And so uh, it's now, now most teams don't insure contracts anymore. Yeah. They just, have, they just, they just gamble. Yeah. I, I've, I've been following the Orioles my entire life and this happened 25 years ago and this is something that I had no idea until right now I just learned something. So I, I had no idea that that was the case. You'd think it was the other way around, that the Orioles just had to eat that entire contract, and that's why Peter Angelos uh, bucked at doing it ever again. But uh, look, the, the, the Orioles, they are. you mentioned that there's the wild card that they could be sold, and I think that it's inevitable that at some point they, they are going to be sold, maybe even uh, probably after, after Peter Angelos uh, is no longer with us. And not that you're wishing that upon him, but... The, he, it is what it is with him and his health and his age right now. Uh, but you made it a point to say in your article that this Angelos Brothers lawsuit is not going to have an impact on, on the Orioles. And no matter if they sell or don't sell, Major League Baseball would never allow this team to leave. And I need you to say that louder for the people in the back <laughs> that keep thinking that this team is moving. And can you explain why it's the case that Major League Baseball would never let the Orioles leave? Well, several things. No one, the one thing to, the one thing that you, that you have to know, and most people I think have figured this out by now. And and I'll use the Los Angeles Dodgers sale when the Dodgers were uh, Frank McCourt um, uh, had, was forced to sell the team because of some poor behavior on his part, I guess. Um, and we found out that, you know, that team would have gone for a lot more money, except major league baseball has total control over the sale of franchises. And so I, I, uh, this on a, I think another radio show, somebody asked me about this and I said that, that back in that, at that time, you know, I was the national baseball writer slash columnist at the Baltimore sun. And I did, I was in, you know, and, and, and I spent a lot of years around Bud Selig and the, the big wigs in Major League Baseball and the lawyers because I covered all that labor in 94, 95. I covered it in 81. I covered it in 86. Um, all, all the strikes. I, I was in, you know very deeply involved in that, so I knew all those people. And Rob Manfred is one of those people I know very, very well. I spent a lot of time interviewing him and being around him during those long days and, uh, of negotiations where we would stake out hotels. You got to know all those people. One thing I... I, I said is that when there were rumblings about the baseball being uh, uh, dissatisfied with the McCourt's ownership, as to understate the, that fact, um, probably a year before the Dodgers were sold, I wrote. I, I'd have to go back and find. I wrote a column, and, and I and I and I told everyone that would listen that Stan Kasten's getting the Dodgers. Okay. And, and they're going, well, well, how do you, how can you predict that? Trust me, Stan Kasten is getting the Dodgers. Uh, Bud kind of owes him. He's been, he's carried Bud's water for a long time. Um, and, and he's, his group will get the Dodgers. It won't matter what the price is. And sure enough, they got the Dodgers for less than the highest bid. Wow. And so what the point is that, that major league baseball controls all sales. They vet who's going to be, who's going to be the owners that, that, that you, you can't just sell it to anybody. And they're not above getting their given given a group to their friends. And the group that buys the Orioles will include. I, I guarantee you this. It will include Cal Ripken in some capacity, mm-hmm. and it and it will stay and it will be contingent on the on the Orioles staying in Baltimore in perpetuity, um, because uh, for a couple of reasons. One, because Rob Manfred has promised that 
over the years. He's, he, 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 he has lived in Baltimore. He used to go to uh, Memorial stadium. Um, that, that he, he knows how important this team is to Baltimore and he knows how bad it would look and how hard it would be to sell any city on a new stadium. If you leave Camden Yards, the best stadium in baseball vacant, yep. they know that. That's reason that 1A they can't, they can't do that. Yep. They cannot do that. And so, so there's no reason to worry about it on that level. But yes, the team's going to be sold after the passing. I'm, again, we all, we all hate saying uh, after the passing of, of Mr. Angelos. And I know a lot of fans are, have been ang- angry with the Angelos family and don't like Peter. I, I've dealt with Peter for, for 30 years, and and we had some tough times. I mean, he didn't like me a lot of that time, mm-hmm. but I respected him. I know he's a handful, but I like Peter Angelos. I'm sad that he's going through dementia and he's going through this. And so I don't like, like you. You're uncomfortable saying, well, after Peter passed. Well, Peter's 90 years old. He's going to pass. Mm-hmm. At some point, he's going to pass, and so am I in, you know, 15 years. Uh, <laughs> I hope I can hang in longer than that, but, you I know, we're so all going to pass. Right. Um, um, but but um, when he passes, that is the pivotal moment because uh, under the under the capital gains t- uh, and, in, and inheritance tax laws, uh, the value of the franchise steps up when it passes to Mrs. Angelos. Mm-hmm. And it, it has to be Mrs. Angelos. If she, if he passes before she does, she's quite a bit younger than him. Um, that it passes to Mrs. Angelos, then the value of the team steps up to current value without any capital gains tax. And that's absolutely huge because he bought the team for 173 million, and it's worth at least 1.6, 1.7 dollars billion dollars. Right. So you're talking about a, a a capital gains levy that would be, you know, if you did it before that would be, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. And, and so this, so that's definitely not going to happen until, you know, it's not going to happen before that. After that, when it happens, who knows? But the team, there are plenty of, there are plenty of people who would line up to buy this franchise. So oh, sure. it, when it's time, when it's, when it's time, I, I, I just, the, um, the only thing, the only thing that, um, that kind of is unknown about the whole situation is how much John and Lou Angelos, and I, and I, I made reference to the lawsuit, is how much John and Lou Angelos really want to own the team, and, and maybe maybe the effect that this lawsuit might have might be to make them more to to want to just sell it and move on with their lives. I, right. I don't know. I, I can't predict that, but uh, it it will be sold at some point after that. And it's, it's a question that can't be answered. John Angelo sometimes looks like he wants to be the owner forever. And sometimes you get the impression that these guys want to take their billion dollars and go enjoy life without all the attention. Yeah. Who wouldn't, right? So yeah. we'll, 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 we'll see. <laughs> well, whoever, whoever does buy this team, I think we can both agree that we hope that they, they have some pretty deep pockets for sure. Yep. Uh, Peter, great talking with you. Thank you for taking time out for us on a Saturday morning. What can we plug for you? Have anything coming up for BaltimoreBaseball.com in the near future? Uh, I'll, I'm gonna. I'll be in in a few days, uh, just looking at looking back at the Yankee series and and how it goes the rest of the way. But what it means, I mean, what what it tells us basically. Absolutely. And that that'll probably be that'll probably be Monday morning at BaltimoreBaseball.com. 
I'll tell you, it's been great reading your stuff again. I, I, you were short, you were sorely missed here in Baltimore. So I'm glad to see you writing back on our computer screens. Have a great weekend, and hopefully, we'll talk you talk to you down the line. Thank you. No problem. All right, talk take to you care. soon. And that was Peter Schmuck from BaltimoreBaseball.com, formerly of the Baltimore Sun and the Schmuck Stops Here uh, blog. Gracious enough to talk to us for about a half an hour today. Really great. And it, it, I went to that uh, Marylander of the Year event after in 2013 where Buck Walter was honored as Marylander of the Year uh, as the Orioles manager, and uh, Peter was the MC for that. And that was a great event, and I actually met Peter Angelos that day, got my picture taken with him. He was he he recognized me, which is crazy. And Peter I, Angelos recognized you? I, I will explain. Okay. Um, back in, I want to say it was the, the 1960s, uh, Peter Angelos ran for public office with my Uncle Frank. And he saw my last name, Valley, and he said, Valley? He's like, Francis Valley. Any relation to him? I was like, yeah, that was my Uncle Frank. Wow. And so he recognized me. He was very kind to me, took a picture with me. It's hanging on my wall. Um, Peter is on is in the same picture frame. It's a it's a three-picture picture frame. Um, at the top is me with Buck Show Walter. In the middle is me with Peter Angelos. And on the bottom is Peter Schmuck with Buck Show Walter doing the MC event so it's a very very cool picture that i have on my wall uh, but great to talk with peter a lot of a lot of great intel and it's so nice to hear somebody who's a respect and not that we haven't had other respected journalists say the same thing but it's nice to hear somebody say matter of factly the orioles are never going anywhere we had a one guy uh who was a listener to the show who i had to block on social media who blamed me blamed me personally for the left field wall he, bl- what? he blamed me personally for the left field wall and said that the Orioles built that, pushed that wall back and made Camden Yards look ugly so that they could sell the team. Uh, the, the, you'll have to ask, talk to Zach Goodman about this. Uh, this dude was, was, he may be listening now, and if he is, dude, you are out there. <laughs> you are. I. He blamed me personally. He told me he was holding me personally responsible for the left field wall. That's because absurd. I Because I didn't do anything about it when he started making his complaints. Paul Valley, host of the Bat Around on Saturday mornings for Press Box Sports, didn't do anything about that left field wall. So it's, I, it's, it's I know you point. have a lot of say in, in the Orioles world, yeah. but... Anthony Santander man. hit a three-run homer last night because he said he wasn't you. a 3-4 hitter. <laughs> you know? I, 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 have a, I have a huge amount of sway with, the, with, the, with this team, with this city. You better believe it. Yeah. The left field wall's my fault, guys. Yeah. Sorry, Aaron Judge. Sorry, Trey Mancini. It's my fault. I'm, I'm furious with you, Paul. I'm going to walk you, out. You should be. I do want to remind you that today's show is brought to you by the latest edition of PressBox, which is a, uh, available available now, and it's our very first salute to coaches issue. On the cover, we recognize Ravens coach John Harbaugh ahead of, the, ahead of his 15th season, and inside tributes to Navy football coach Ken Niamatololo, UMBC soccer coach Pete Karinji, Maryland soccer coach Sasha Sarovsky, and field hockey coach Missy Maharg, Mount St. Joe basketball coach Pat Clatchy, and Polly basketball coach Kendall Peace. We also honor recently retired Johns Hopkins lacrosse coach Janine Tucker and Calvert Hall baseball coach Lou Eckerl. Man, that's a lot of coaches. It is a lot of coaches. The athletes who live, who, whose lives these coaches have impact offer insights at what makes them special and why they've stood the test of time. Keep in mind, PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. We got to catch our second break. When we come back, a little bit of Orioles banter before we get Bob Phelan from the On The Verge podcast on the line. That and more coming up next on The Bat Around. 
Hey Birdland, join in on the fun and celebrate the 30th anniversary of Oriole Park at Camden Yards on Saturday, August 6th, as the O's take on the Pittsburgh Pirates at 5.05. The first 15,000 fans 15 and over will receive a 30th anniversary Oriole Park t-shirt. Then stay post-game for the Birdland Summer Music Series presented by Miller Lite, I Love the 90s Concert, featuring Drew Hill with a special performance by Cisco and Smash Mouth. Tickets start as low as $15 at Orioles.com slash tickets. Summer is in full swing, and so is the summer seasonal menu at Glory Days Grill. Start with the opener, flash fried pork belly with their popular Korean number two sauce, and try their South Carolina barbecue chicken, or back by popular demand, the lobster roll with grilled corn. Also try the irresistible crab and lobster fries, or the very berry salad with chicken. And for dessert, the Cracker Jack Sunday with a waffle, ice cream, and Cracker Jacks. This menu will be going, going, gone. Find out out more and get your order in at glorydaysgrill.com. Glory Days Grill, great food, good sports. Get your tickets now for the premier high school lacrosse games of the year. The 17th annual All-America Lacrosse Boys and Girls Senior All-Star Games will be on Saturday, July 30th at Johns Hopkins Historic Homewood Field. This is your chance to see the future lacrosse stars up close and in person as they showcase why they are the best in the country. Go to allamericalacrosse.com and get your tickets now. That first sip. That first bite. Mm. Start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world. At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. The latest edition of Press Box is available now, and it's our very first Salute to Coaches issue. On the cover, we recognize Ravens coach John Harbaugh ahead of his 15th season. Also inside, find tributes to Navy football coach Ken Niamatololo, UMBC soccer coach Pete Karinji, Maryland soccer coach Sasha Sorovsky, and field hockey coach Missy Maharg, Mount St. Joe basketball coach Pat Clatchy, and poly basketball coach Kendall Peace. We also honor recently retired Johns Hopkins lacrosse coach Janine Tucker and Calvert Hall baseball coach Lou Eckerl, the athletes who whose lives these coaches have impacted, offering insights on what makes them special and why they've stood the test of time. Pressbox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Stan the Fan here, welcoming back one of my favorite sponsors, the Costas Inn. And everybody around Baltimore knows the Costas Inn is a great place to go and grab crabs, steaks, salads, soups, whatever's on your mind to eat in person. But did you know that the Costas Inn has upped their game? They are now one of the premier takeout places in Baltimore. Give them a call now to order your food. 410-477-1975. That's the Costas Inn over 4100 North Point Boulevard. Alright, welcome back to the bat around here on a hot, hot, but beautiful Saturday morning. Coming to you from our new studios here in Towson, Maryland. Awesome. 
new studio. Getting Still getting used to the setup here, but I think I found my groove as far as where I'm going to sit and how I'm going to do things. So really enjoying the new studio. Ryan, what do you think of the new studio? It's interesting. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking down at you, which is different. We're, we're normally sitting on the same level, at least we were at the old studio. And I'm, I'm up on this, this bar stool and you're down with your computer set up and I don't, I don't know. It's, it's pretty cool. I yeah. do like it though. I like this table. I like, I like being up high a little bit. Um, it's, it, yeah, it's a good spot. A lot easier to get to than the last place. The funny thing is I'm sitting here talking like this is going to be my setup moving forward and I don't produce this show. I mean, I do everything that the producer does for the show except for like actually run the board and stuff like that during the show. So, like next week I'm going to be sitting where you are. That's and, and that's yeah. where I'm going to be for every show unless you're filling in. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it, it's not like um, I'm going to be in the same area next time. You know what I mean? Zach's going to be sitting here. But you know, I, I like the new studio. It has more of a studio feel I than, agree. Than, than the other one did. The other one looked, just kind of felt like a back office that they turned into a studio. I, I like the setup here a lot more. I actually feel like I'm on the radio. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, oh, absolutely. I, I, I definitely enjoy this setup for sure. Um some Orioles banter here, and actually, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna text Bob Feeling here, um, and let him know that we're gonna be calling him about five minutes later than expected. But while I'm doing that, Ryan DL Hall, one inning stint last night. Is this guy pitching this coming week for the Baltimore Orioles? I think so. Um, you know, we we talked about this previously with with our other guests and. I I was at the Orioles game last night, and I was not paying very close attention to my phone or anything that was going on outside of the happenings at Camden Yards. And I was actually preparing my notes for the show, and I I went to look at uh, the Norfolk Tides box score, not even thinking about D.L. Hall, but because I was curious to see if Taron Vavra got on base again, uh, because that's all he does now, is get on base a couple times a game. Um, and I looked at the box score, and I see for the the Norfolk pitching line, Hall one inning, mm. and I it, that was a scary minute or two before I was able to get on Twitter and search his name and make sure that he you know didn't get hurt because man, going through that with Grayson Rodriguez, I was not ready for it with DL Hall. Uh, so it's a, a very big relief to see that he wasn't hurt, that it was just a scheduled outing. And at that point, my brain did a complete 180 from oh gosh, is he hurt to Oh, we might we might see him this week. Uh, when I when I saw the 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 box score, I saw it on Twitter, and it was somebody posting. This is the pitching. This is the type of pitching um, box score that I like to see. When I saw the DL Hall had the one inning, there, not 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 one point did I think. Oh, he got hurt. I thought this was a scheduled work day for him, and yeah. he's pitching for the Orioles. It makes a ton week. of sense. It just caught me off guard. Yeah, no, I, no, I and I think that yeah. most, if I had checked the box score myself before seeing the tweet and saw that, I would have thought, he's hurt. He got hurt. But especially when you saw that he gave up two hits a run, you know what I mean? I would have I been like, oh, something's not right. But when I saw the tweet first, I was like, okay, he's pitching for the Orioles next week. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's something that I'm certainly excited for. Um, and I do want to talk a little bit here about some trade deadline targets, given that those local talking heads that we mentioned the uh, back with Stan have mentioned uh, Ken Rosenthal. He's not the talking head, uh, and neither is Mark Feinson. But they, they, Ken Rosenthal said that the Orioles could be interested in Blake Snell uh, because the Padres are looking to unload some salary um, to get some salary relief to stay away from the luxury tax threshold so they can add pieces to their team. And Blake Snell is like their sixth 
starter, so they yeah. could they could unload that. Uh, and Mark Feinstein said that the Orioles have checked in on pa- the in the, the industry buzz is that the Orioles are checking in on Pablo Lopez. Um, it's not they're not going to be able to get that deal done. A, a deal to acquire Pablo Lopez unless they add a top prospect. Agreed. Um, and with that in mind, what would it take Ryan to get a Pablo Lopez? What kind of a package would the Orioles need to send? I, I think Anthony Santander would have to be part of that package. Correct. I th- I think yeah I think Santander would be in there. Uh, he's controllable for a couple more years. Um, it wouldn't surprise me to see. You know, I, look, I I think the Marlins really like Pablo Lopez and rightfully so. Uh, he's really good. He's really young. Um, I, I think you might have to throw in a couple prospects there, and they might be some closer to the upper tier guys, like you think maybe a Hudson Haskin, a Connor Norby, maybe even a Vavra. You know, one of those kind of guys. Um, you know, it, and it all it all depends on what the Marlins are looking for too. But yeah, I think you package Santander with with at least one of those guys. I think, you know, when I look at the outfield prospects, there's a lot of them. And I mm-hmm. think right now the most likely to get moved if the Orioles were to make a move for a major leaguer, I think most likely would be Has- Haskin. Maybe Kowser, depending on who the guy would be coming back. Uh, but Is Kowser somebody you'd be willing to package to get? Uh, and this leads me to another point that I'll get to in a bit. Um, but is Kowser somebody you'd be willing to package for Pablo Lopez? Yes. 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 And, and, and see, that's Hudson Haskin, I, I think that he has tremendous upside, but I think he's one of those guys who hasn't been able to stay healthy in, in, yeah. in his two years of pro ball with the Orioles organization. And I don't know that you're going to get much because of his inability to stay on the field. I think people would look at him like we look at just Neil Diaz, kind of. You know what I mean? Like, what are you really getting here? Yeah. Um, the reason I ask about Colton Kowser is because I have a friend who brought this up to me uh, back uh, on uh, July 4th weekend. That he thinks that the Orioles are going to make a huge splash, splash in free agency in the offseason. And the reason that I mention this, he said he thinks that the Orioles, that, that Correa is going to opt out and he thinks the Orioles are going to sign Correa. I don't think the Orioles are going to sign Correa. I think if they were going to sign him, it was going to be this year, but that they weren't willing to give him an early opt-out like that. I do believe yeah. that the Orioles were... Everything I've heard is that the Orioles were 100% in on Correa, yeah. but what it came down to is he wanted an early opt-out that they weren't willing to give him. I think that that ship has sailed. I think they look at what they have coming up, and they look, they look at what Gunnar Henderson's done this year, who they just took at 1-1. They look at Jordan Westberg, and, I th- and what they have with Jorge Mateo, and I think that they're okay... If they need to have Jorge Mateo play shortstop next year until some of these guys are ready to be the everyday shortstop, I think they're okay with that. Yeah, I look especially the, if he continues to, you know, if he stays hot with the bat a little bit. Yeah, and we don't we don't really expect that. He he's never been a hitter, right? But speed doesn't slump, and if he can get on base at a reasonable clip, then he he brings a lot of value to this team, especially with Absol- what he does on defense. Absolutely, and, and when he said to me Correa, I said it's not going to be Correa, and I looked at him and I said, Aaron Judge. Hear me out. Hear me out. I'm listening. All right. At the All-Star game, Aaron Judge was asked about this kid that was super upset that Aaron Judge might not be a Yankee next year. And what 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 Aaron Judge said was very telling to me. He said, look, there's a lot of guys on the Yankees that you can rally around. You know what I mean? It's It'll be okay, man. I promise you, you'll, you'll be okay. Right? Which was basically him alluding to the fact that he's probably not going back to New York. Now, look, seeing is believing, right? And I still right. think that the Yankees could hit him with an eight-year, $400 million contract, and then boom, he's he's a Yankee for life, right? Um, but I look at what he said at the All-Star game, and then the praise that he heaped upon the Orioles um, after the 
getting swept in the doubleheader on Thursday, and the fact that that wall is no match for him in in left field. And if you're telling me that the or if if the Orioles can can trade Colton Kowser to the Marlins for for a young, controllable, really good pitcher, and then they go out and they sign an Aaron Judge to play right field for them and DH for them. To me, that that move makes a lot of sense. Now, it would have to be the Orioles willing to give him forty-five to fifty million dollars a year, right? Yeah. Because he's not—he turned down thirty-six million a year from the Yankees, right? So it's not like he's taking—and we don't know if maybe they offer him deferred money or anything of of the sort. But he's not taking less than forty million a year. I think we can both agree on that, right? Right. So the Orioles are going to have to be would have to be willing to pony up the dough, but they have only three million. Guaranteed, uh, committed to the roster for next season. Now, of course, that's going to go up with arbitration, and they're going to yes. sign free agents and stuff like that. Um, but only three million of commitments to this roster for next year. They have the payroll flexibility. Can you see them making a splash like an Aaron Judge, and he's that guy that you add? And now with this young pitching rotation, and maybe includes a Pablo Lopez on at the top of it with Grace Rodriguez and Dale Hall and John Means coming back, and you know Tyler Wells or Dean Kramer or Kyle Bradish rounding it out. That's a guy who takes you from being a team that maybe you're contending for a wild card to now maybe you're contending for the division. Yeah, I I, I agree with all those points. Um, I don't see it happening. Um. And it's not because he'd be, you know, staying in the division or, um, you know, you know, you mentioned that that Camden Yards, the wall is no match for him. Yes, that's true. But he also complained pretty heavily about it earlier this season. Mm-hmm. Granted, he hit two homers in that game and and two more last night, and I'm sure that's not the last we've seen from him. Um, I I I I I'd be thrilled if that were the case. Um, but I I personally can't see it happening. Yeah, uh, but I I agree with your points on why it would make sense. Yeah, it, it, it it's a pipe dream. Yeah, for sure, it's a pipe dream for sure. But he's got to sign somewhere, and why not sign with a team where you've dominated in their ballpark? Yeah, and then you get to face off against your former team fourteen times. Uh, well, that yeah, I still doing fourteen with the 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 new it, scheduling. The, the new scheduling because they do nineteen now. They're dropping down to 14. Right, because right, it's 2-2 two and two with four games. Right, yeah, right, okay. yeah, so it'll be 14 games against division rivals, and then you play. So you have 56 games against your division, and then all the other games are split amongst every other team in baseball. You play every team in baseball moving forward starting in 2023, yeah. which I think is really cool. Oh, me too. I, I think that's awesome. I think that's yeah. what they should have always been doing, but mm-hmm. neither here nor there. Um, do you have a free agent target that you think would be a – significant ad for the Orioles in the offseason? Somebody who you think, A, is a significant ad, and B, is realistic? Because my I don't know that how realistic Aaron Judge is, but to me, I think that, that would be a move that, that Michael Elias can make to put his stamp on this team. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I, I haven't thought much about free agency with my, you know, my focus more on the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just hope they show, you know, with without naming any names in particular, I just, I hope they show a concerted effort to improve. And I think they did that this past offseason with Jordan Lyles, but you have to do something beyond that. Better than that. Right. Um, you know, Lyles has been kind of, you know, I, I've we've talked about this throughout the course of the season. And you know, mentioned at the beginning of the year that he's a, a two good start, one bad start kind of pitcher. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much the path that he's followed uh, at this point. Um, but, you know, you have to do things that are really going to um, make a splash. And it can't just be eating innings. It has to be 
eating good innings. Mm-hmm. So, so something beyond that is is what I would like to see. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you, and I think that the Orioles move that left field wall back more than for, for more than any other reason, so they could attract free agent pitchers. I, I really fully believe that that was the number one priority in moving that that wall back and raising it another five feet. Uh, or, yeah, another five feet was to attract free agent pitchers. I think so, so too. So I think that that's something that they're going to look into very seriously this offseason and in off seasons to come. Certainly, certainly will be an interesting offseason. I'm very excited for it, but I'm not as excited for that as I am to watch how the rest of the season plays out. Um, Orioles, you know, another tough matchup with the Yankees today and tomorrow. They got they got Garrett Cole. And look, they, they, they hit Garrett Cole not uh, uh, pretty decently the last time they faced him. Um, and he, while he's been very good, he hasn't been the same Garrett Cole this year. So maybe the Orioles have something for him. I think Adley Rutschman in the two-hole is a brilliant thing. I think that's where he should be. Um, for the rest of the year. Me too. And I think he's going to have a really big second half, and we just saw a glimpse of that last night. So it'll be interesting to see how the Orioles do against the Yankees. Uh, Ryan is going to tell us about Glenn Clark Radio while I get Bob Phelan on the line from the On The Verge podcast. Yeah, Pressbox's Glenn Clark Radio is the definitive place to find the best daily discussion of Baltimore sports. Watch the show every weekday from 10 to noon at youtube.com slash pressboxonline or facebook.com slash pressboxsports. Or you can listen at pressboxonline.com slash radio. With podcasts available on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts, you never know who might pop up on GCR. This week, the guys caught up with Orioles draft pick Jared Beck, who could be the tallest player in MLB history, plus Orioles legends Ken Singleton and Ben McDonald. Find those interviews and more in the Glenn Clark Radio Week in Review feature right now at PressBoxOnline.com. All right, Ryan. Thank you very much. Wonderful job on that Glenn Clark Radio Live Read. Joining us on the line now from the On The Verge podcast, he is Bob Phelan, and he's live with us here on the Bataround to talk about the Orioles' recent draft picks. Good morning, Bob. How are you today? Good morning, guys. Thanks for having me again. Uh, we're, we're thrilled to have Good. you. Excited to talk about some uh, some uh, draft picks. Zach Goodman is not with us this week. We do have instead Ryan Blake in his stead uh, because Zach is on his way home from Myrtle Beach. He was just on vacation. So um, you'll be talking with me um, and Ryan, Bob. How's it going, Bob? Good. How are you, Ryan? Good, Good. Uh, Zach enjoyed a nice vacation, so... Good yeah, yeah. Hopefully, and we're gonna be talking with Zach for take to rake later in the program um, uh, from his from his car. So, Bob, let's jump right into it. <laughs> Orioles with the one one pick in the draft. They take prep shortstop Jackson Holiday. They give him eight point one nine million dollars, the largest ever signing bonus for a high school player, and the largest signing bonus for the Orioles ever. What kind of player are they getting in Jackson Holiday? Well, I think they are getting another Gunnar Henderson type on their hands here, maybe with a little bit more upside coming out of the draft. He's a guy that should be able to stick at shortstop, just 18 years old, can hit. Obviously, his dad, professional major leaguer Matt Holiday, maybe borderline Hall of Fame type, if not quite there. Uh, so he's got the bloodlines, but he can hit. He's added some muscle and some power this uh, this past spring. He, he can field, he can throw, he's, he's got plus-plus speed on the bases. He's basically a five-tool player that should be able to stick at shortstop and should pair nicely with Gunnar Henderson on the left side of the infield. 
Yeah, it, I think that uh, I think everybody started thinking Gunnar Henderson as soon as uh, Holiday was drafted. Um, I've heard comparisons to Bobby Witt Jr. as well, and I've heard that he's more advanced coming out of high school right now than Bobby Witt Jr. was. With that in mind, we know it's tough to tell with any draft pick, but how quickly do you think we could see Holiday make it to the major leagues? Well, I think uh, it just depends. I'm very interested to see how they they handle him as well as the other college hitters coming out of this class. I'm sure they'll all start in the FCL in a week or two, and hopefully they'll all move up to Delmarva kind of like Colton Cowser and company did last uh, late summer. Mm-hmm. But if if they move him to Delmarva, if he has success in the FCL early and they move him up with the college guys to Delmarva, then I think he could easily start next year in Aberdeen like, uh, Kobe Mayer did this year, and then maybe he'll get a midseason promotion to Bowie, start 2024 in AAA, and be you know half a season or a season away from there. But that's I think that's the fastest he could go. He could also spend all of this year in FCL, start next year in Delmarva, and be a little bit year behind. But I'd say late 2024, 2025. Yeah, and I think if he were to get here that quickly, that would be huge for the Orioles and their fan base. And hopefully he'd be joining a team that's already in the thick of contention. Now, Drew Jones was considered by most to be the top talent in the draft. Did you feel the same way? And if so, what is the gap between he and Holiday? I personally just put those top three high school guys right around the same level of player. Yeah, I probably would have ranked them Drew Jones, then Jackson Holiday, then Tamar Johnson, but I really think they're very close. And I would have been happy with any of those guys. Maybe they thought, maybe they just thought he was the best of the bunch, or maybe they thought, hey, we can save a couple hundred thousand if we go with Holiday and spend that money a little bit, you know, down the line in the draft. But I would have been happy with any of those three. So I'm glad they didn't go with the. The college player, Brooks Lee, although I'm sure he's a solid player and more advanced and more data on him, I just like the higher upside of those high school guys showed. Yeah, I, I think I, I agree with you on that. Like, I, I don't have anything against Brooksley. I think he may have gotten to the majors quicker than any of the, of the other draft picks, but I don't think that he has the ceiling that you get with Drew Jones or Holiday or Tamar Johnson. And I had sold myself on Tamar Johnson because we, we talked with R.J. Anderson from CBS Sports last week, and he said that, that scouts have said that he has a future 80-grade hit tool. Uh, Tamar Johnson, he goes to the Pirates at fourth overall, is this a player that, if the Orioles had taken him, you could have gotten on board with? Yeah, I've been on the Tamar Johnson uh, hype train since we had Ben Badler from Baseball America on our podcast earlier this year. I just, I think hit tool is the most important tool there is in the game, and if you've got a 70 or 80 hit tool being compared to Wade Boggs and Tony Gwynn and et cetera, et cetera, I think that's that's something you gotta jump on, even if he ends up at second base. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think having a bat like that to play anywhere, I think it's pretty foolproof. So, why yeah, are so, I would have been very happy with Smart. Why are so many people so low on the fact that he would end up at second base? I mean, every team needs a second baseman, and if you got a second baseman that has an eighty grade hit, tool, I mean, Jose Altuve is a second baseman. Why are teams? Why are people so low on the fact that his position would end up being second base? great question i just <laughs> i wonder he is listed at what five nine five ten but mm-hmm. he might be even a little bit shorter than that i'm thinking maybe guys are thinking well if he can max out at second base what if he isn't even good enough to play there he's too short to play first base does he have the arm for left field i think you kind of go a bit on a a bit of uh you send yourself down a spiral there but i think i've seen his reports that he would 
should be at least an average to above average second baseman. So, yeah, I don't totally understand that. And I feel like if you can hit as well as he potentially could, then it doesn't really matter where you play as long as that back in the lineup. Now, the Washington Nationals took Elijah Green with the fifth overall pick in the draft. And Elijah Green was the guy who, this time last year, we were talking about him being the number one pick for the Orioles this season. Uh, a lot of swing and miss in his game. And I think that's why he kind of fell a little bit from that top prospect, uh, top drop draft prospect status. What kind of player did the Nationals get in Elijah Green? They got potentially the the guy that in five, six years, we could look him back and say, that was the best player in this draft by far. I mean, I think he's got the highest ceiling. I think it's a great pick for them at five where they were. Um, I also think it kind of screams Juan Soto is not long for DC because between Brady house and him, it's kind of like they've got some high upside, high risk guys that could take a little bit of time to get there potentially. So I think, you know, he's, he's got loud tools. If everything clicks, if he can just cut down that swing and miss a little bit, he's, He's the guy that could be like a 30-30-40-40 type of player in center field. So, mm. great pick, but just a, a little risky, I think, for 1-1 if on the Orioles. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And we, I saw reports that he could be he could have the highest ceiling of any of the draft picks, but also the, the highest chance to be a bust. So, like you said, it would have been a risky pick, and I think the Orioles got a, a really solid, really good player for years to come in Jackson Holiday. Now, they had other picks in that draft, I believe 19 more of them, other than, or probably, I think more than 21, that. 20, 21 more, 22 20, in total. 20 more, 21 more picks. Uh, with their first pick in the competitive balance round A pick at number 33, uh, for frame of reference, Jordan Westberg was a comp, uh, comp, the competitive balance uh, round A pick at number 30 in 2020. The Orioles take Dylan Beavers. He's a 20-year-old draft-eligible sophomore outfielder out of California. Hit 291 this past season. He's got great power. He's six foot four. He has some Christian Yelich uh, comps. What can you tell us about Dylan Beavers? Because uh, the first thing I noticed was uh, where he holds his hands in his swing, and his swing looks... Um, it doesn't look like he has a full follow-through yeah, it's, on his swing. It's not the prettiest swing, but one of those... I mean, neither was Hudson Haskin, and yeah. they, they, you know, they were happy with that pick. So, you know, I don't know if I see Yelich personally, yeah. but Bob, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, definitely a funky swing. The follow-through is definitely notable, but I think this was a great pick. He was ranked 22, first-round grade by uh, MLB on their draft tracker, and the more I think about it, the more I like it. He's kind of like a hybrid of Colton Kowser and Kyle Stowers. He's got like the big time power that Stowers has, but he's kind of like Kowser in the fact he's got a great approach at the plate, good swing decisions. He can, he's 6'4 and he's a big guy, but he can hold his own in center field. Ultimately, I think he'll end up in a corner with a great arm plus defender. But I just feel like this is a, again, this is what the Orioles love. They're, they're college hitters. They have a lot of data on him. He's left-handed. So doesn't have to worry about the new uh, Baltimore in left field. Um, really like this pick, and you're just building that depth in the outfield more and more as yeah. this draft goes along. Yeah, I I I don't hate a uh, pick of a guy who's 20 years old, who's draft eligible, coming out of college, uh, who seems to only be on the upward uh, path uh, for his baseball career. Then they go and they take uh, third baseman Max Wagner with the third pick, and uh, coming out of Clemson, he's hit for decent average in college, but the power seemingly came out of nowhere this past season uh is this a guy that intrigues you is the power kind of a, a flash in the pan type of thing what do we see from max wagner moving forward yeah this is another one of the things that orioles like to do that now that we have 
three drafts, four drafts to work with with their picks. They like to grab these guys. They did this with, with Reed Trimble last year, a sophomore eligible college player who, you know, didn't do much his freshman year. I don't even think Wagner was a starter. Uh, he was more of a defensive replacement. But then they have a breakout sophomore year, and something in the data must tell them that they believe that it's real and sustainable, so they jump on them while they can get them a little bit cheaper in a lower round than, you know, potentially letting them go back to school and work their way up to a first-round first, first round, uh draft grade but I think Wagner is intriguing in that way because he came onto the scene and just absolutely didn't even start the year as a starter ends up demolishing ACC pitching and showing off some power might ultimately be a left field first base type I don't know if the defense is there but if you can get a guy that can just mash the ball and uh in the second round I think you'll take that uh, and then they take outfielder Judd Fabian out of Florida with their fourth pick. This is this is an interesting pick because the Orioles had a deal, an overslot deal, in place with Fabian last year, but the Red Sox took him the pick before the Orioles could get him. Obviously, he didn't sign with the Red Sox. The Orioles get their guy this year. This is a guy uh, who has a ton of power, but he seems like he sells out for power. Hit just two thirty nine in college this year after hitting two fifty the year before, which when I see a college hitter that hits below three hundred. It kind of makes it's a head scratcher for me. Can the Orioles improve his hit tool enough that he doesn't turn into Rob Deere or Adam Dunn? <laughs> yeah, I mean it's almost like destiny that we ended up with Judd Fabian in the in the end anyway. We predicted it on our mock draft show uh, a month or so ago on on the Verge, and yeah, I feel like the Orioles must just really think they can do something with him because they were ready to take him last year and they take him again this year, probably even save some money this time around. He plays a great center field. He's fast. Uh, he's got a good arm. Tremendous power. If that hit tool, if, if he could just bat 240, 250 in the minors up to the majors, I think he's got enough power. And he <clears throat> showed that he could improve his strikeout and walk totals uh, right. by going back to school. So if they can, you know, the Orioles are good at these swing decisions. They're developing. They've shown between Kyle Stowers, Gunnar Henderson, that they can increase your walk rate and decrease your strikeout rate. So maybe they feel like he's a prime candidate for that and just let that. 250 batting average, 25 home runs with a great defense in center field, you know, if everything works out. But, yeah, I, I like the pick. It's, it's definitely probably the riskiest of these top picks, but I like that. Let's go for the, the high upside. Yeah, and they, they, they seem to think he has a ton of upside. So uh, dra- trying to draft him two years in a row, finally getting him. Uh, we'll see if it, if it works out the way that they hope. Um, a pick that, it, that I found very interesting, and, and I feel like I, I – I felt like I misheard this, so I had to check again. Carter Young, shortstop out of Vanderbilt, taken in the 17th round. Now, I heard, and I could be wrong, that he was considered to have first-round talent potentially, and then he fell off a cliff offensively. Is that the case, and how intriguing a pick is he in the 17th round? Yeah, that is absolutely the case, and it is a very intriguing pick. Uh, you know, he I think he had a shoulder issue, and then he just kind of you know, started off slow and just got worse and worse from there. But clearly, you know, he put up a great freshman year for Vanderbilt starting shortstop. He was getting, I think he's, he's between these. If we can't convince him to sign with the Orioles, then he will transfer to LSU and be their starting shortstop. So plenty of talent there. If they can convince him to sign and forego another year in college to try to rebound, then I think that could be a potential steal if they can get him back on track, get him healthy. But I also kind of feel like, he might be a backup. Like, I don't know how likely he is to sign. Maybe they brought him, they uh, drafted him just in case one of these guys earlier that they 
think they have a shot at falls through, and then they at least have another high upside guy that they can fall back on. Kind of the same with Andrew Walters, who has taken a pick later, but would love to get him in the system. Yeah, it's intriguing upside there. It's crazy to see a guy who potentially had first-round talent fall to the 17th round, and that could be... You know, the fact that, that people think he's going to be the starting shortstop for LSU, the fact so they think it would be hard to sign him, and that's why he kept falling down the draft board. And like you mentioned, the shoulder injury that caused him to really fall flat this past season. It'll be interesting to see. The Orioles, don't tend to, under Michael Elias, don't tend to draft players that they can't sign, so I'll be interested to see how this one plays out. Now, the Orioles took a fair amount of pitchers, a lot of relievers. They Their first uh, pitcher taken was in the third round, which is the highest round that Michael Elias has taken a pitcher since he's been here. Are there any that stood out to you that we should be uh, keeping our eyes on? Yeah, I basically think all the pitchers they took are in a similar mold. They have a decent fastball with hop, with uh, some some good spin. They they love their their spinny breaking balls, high spin breaking balls, and they feel like they can teach changeups, as we've seen from um, some of the guys taken in the last couple drafts, and improve their stock. They like developing these guys as starters, so that you know they're working on their full repertoire, and then if and when they have to revert to the bullpen, they have a more developed arsenal to work with but my favorite pick is definitely that that third rounder Nolan McLean I love this pick you know he's not going to be a two-way player even though he had some serious power uh batting for Oklahoma State in college he just strikes out way too much I don't think there's enough hit tool there but he has a huge arm sits in the mid 90s can get it up to the upper 90s two really high spin breaking balls if you can teach him a change up and get him stretched out. I think just because he was a two-way player, he wasn't getting a ton of innings working out of the bullpen for Oklahoma State, but he's young, good athlete. If you can just get him stretched out, teach him a change-up, you might have something special there in a future Kyle Bradish type. But that's that's dreaming on him, but <laughs> I think that potential is there. Um, it's For me, anyway, it's tough to get excited after the first round in the draft and that's I'm not you know I don't watch a ton of college baseball I'm not privy to uh, the ceilings of these players and I've seen so many people have big college careers and then get into pro ball and fall flat it is nice to replenish a farm system that's graduated and is about to graduate a number of players are there any other players that you saw taken in this draft that kind of raise your eyebrow either good or bad for Baltimore yeah, I mean, I liked what they do with the position side as you get further down in the draft where it's more of, you know, long shots or, you know, guys that you're really going to have to develop if they're going to make it. But they like to stick up the middle with catchers. They got two good catchers, and they focused on defense first, it seems like. Silas Ardwan, Ardwan and uh, Adam Retzbach. They're uh, two defensive first catchers with a little bit of power potential. They got a center fielder out of Texas, Douglas Hodo and a shortstop that was Defensive Player of the Year out of Stanford, Adam Crampton. I like that they focus on that because not only are you getting potential guys that are in premium positions, could at least be great defense behind your pitchers and let help them develop by not having to throw more pitches and get more outs than, than they would have to. And we also got a couple of arms that I would definitely highlight. Zach Showalter in the 11th round, a high school arm. He's got electric stuff. Again, just missing a changeup, which if they can teach him that, then – he could be someone with real upside. And Andrew Walters, who I mentioned earlier, was one of the best relievers in college baseball last year. Just a ridiculous high 90s fastball. Uh, I think 
Connor Newcomb of Lockdown Orioles mentioned he only gave up runs in like three of the 27 appearances he had last year. Um, but he wants to stay in Miami one more year to play with his brother who's coming in. So if you can convince him to forego that, then you have a potential back end of the bullpen reliever on your hands down the line. And again, you would think that if the Orioles are taking a guy that high, that they have to know that they can sign him. Right, it, it, maybe they throw a, a, a ton of money at him and be like, "Look, we need you. We we need you in this system. We're giving you this way over slot money here." And at that age, just about to begin your pro career, I think your brother would understand if you took the money and ran. Right? <laughs> yeah, maybe promise him you'll give him an extra look when he's ready to come out of college for the draft. I'm not sure, but they save like six hundred, six hundred fifty thousand with the holiday signing. So. Right spread that around and maybe they save some money on a couple of these other picks in the top 10 rounds. I'm not sure uh, what some of the pitchers maybe in seven through nine, seven through 10, but yeah, hopefully they saved enough money to get all these guys or at least, you know, the vast majority of them. And uh, it never hurts to get more town into the system and the player development. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I actually trust the player development in the Orioles uh, organization for once. So isn't that a weird feeling they can do? It's great. It's so yeah. it's so different from years past. It's pretty awesome. I, I need I personally need it Douglas really Hodo to make it to the majors just because he has the perfect uh, Maryland last name. I can I can just picture Doug Scott Hodo. Van Pelt. Yeah, happy Tim Kirkjian Day by the way. <laughs> um, now Bob, mo- moving on to the Orioles here. Where do they go from here? Trade deadline is 10 days away. They had the 10-game winning streak, and they followed up immediately, losing three or four as soon as they get back to the AL East. They've got prospects knocking on the door. What do you think we see from the Orioles the remainder of the season regarding moves, regarding performance? How do you view this team moving forward? I personally think, and I think Mike Elias is probably along the same lines, I don't see any reason to adjust the plan they already had in place. Mm-hmm. I think you can potentially buy and sell at the same time. Maybe... You trade a Trey Mancini, you trade an Anthony Santander, uh, maybe even Jordan Lyles. But you can also try to trade for a starting pitcher that's at least a two or three in the rotation that's under control for another two, three years. Pablo Lopez, you know, Luis Castillo, there was some connection there. I think you can trade the guys that Santander, you need to make room for Stowers, and he's not going to be much of a drop-off, at least you know, if you give him time to adjust this year. Next year he will probably be similar to Santander production-wise. You get Mancini's going to be a free agent. If we really want to bring him back, sign him in the offseason again, even though I doubt that's going to happen. But mm-hmm. get something for him now. Get more playing time for Rushman in the DH role. And you bring up the guys that you have in AAA just waiting for their opportunity. That could be your big, quote-unquote, trade deadline acquisitions. Bring up DL Hall. Bring up Jordan Westberg, Gunnar Henderson, Taron Vavra. You can improve this team while still – trade in the guys you are probably planning to trade anyway and maybe potentially going from that which it's going to happen either this offseason next season you got to trade from that depth of prospects they can't all make it and get a legit starting pitcher in this uh, organization D.L. Hall went one inning in his start last night it was a scheduled short outing is the writing on the wall for you Bob that he's going to be here this week pitching for the Orioles yeah, I think it's just a matter of which day they want to debut him against the Rays, either Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever they, however they want to line it up against a, a little bit more of an easier, you know, landing spot for him than this Yankees right-handed heavy lineup. So, yeah, I think it's a matter of time, and I'm excited to see it. Going to try to get out to the to the ballpark for that one because 
D.L. Hall, man. His stuff is electric, probably even better than Grayson's, even though Grayson is rightfully the higher uh, tattered prospect overall. But, man, he could really make a, a big impact on this team for the next five to ten years. Yeah, I think we're all just waiting with bated breath for this uh, debut. And some people were freaking out, Ryan, I think was one of them, that maybe he was hurt after that one-inning start yesterday. But it was planned that way, and I think we're all looking forward to seeing him debut against the Rays this week. Bob, what can we plug for you before we let you go? Yeah, I think we had a pretty good week of draft coverage on, on The Verge. Just search BSL On The Verge in any podcast platform we're on twitter at bso on the verge second half of the minor league season just getting under the way so we will be heavily going after that as far as coverage goes and then we'll do a full recap of the draft coming up on monday night live on youtube later on in podcast and we will be previewing the second half and the trade deadlines right 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 along the way and we'll be updating our top 50 with all these new guys in, in a couple weeks as well Awesome. Great content as always. Great stuff from you, Bob. Thank you so much for taking some time for us, and we will talk to you down the road. Thanks, Bob. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. See you later. I can't more highly recommend if you have any interest at all in the Orioles farm system, whether it's just surface level or you want to dive deep into prospects, I would highly recommend BSL on the Verge. Great podcast, great Twitter account. Follow along with them if you're interested in the minors. Yeah, it, it's absolutely fantastic. It keeps me from having to constantly check check box scores because they show you everything that you could possibly want to see. Yep. from from the games down there. So it's it's they're they're definitely an awesome follow for sure. Uh, so that was Bob Phelan joining us from on the Verge podcast. Um, we have to catch our final break. I want to remind you that the Batter on is brought to you by Simply the Bets and Weekend at Bookie Sports Betting has come to Maryland and we're ready to help you win some money. Tune in for Simply the Bets every Tuesday morning at 1140 with Findel Sportsbook General Manager Leon Twyman and VEASAN's Aaron Oster as they join the guys every week to give you all the info you need and offer you a few winners. And every other Thursday at 1140, tune in for Weekend at Bookies as Andrew Stecka and Alloy Sports Brad Cronenthal help make you some money for the weekend. So come win some money with us on Simply the Bets every Tuesday and Weekend at Bookies every other Thursday. Brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino in Hotel Maryland. Listen to Press Pressboxonline.com slash radio. Watch at youtube.com slash pressboxonline. We have to catch our final break when we come back. Uh, the payoff pitch around the league. And then Zach, jo- Zach Goodman will join us from afar for Take to Rake. That and more next on The Better Round. Sports fans, the wait is over. The all-new FanDuel Sportsbook is now open at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover, Maryland. This is your chance to win big right in your own backyard. Bet on every sport with self-service kiosks and watch all of the action from the best seat in the house. Make every moment more at the all-new FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover. Please play responsibly. Gambling problem? Please call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit MDGambling help.org that first sip that first bite start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at royal farms choose from a fantastic selection of fresh royal farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world at royal farms breakfast is available day and night it's the freshest breakfast in the world real fresh real fast royal farms 
Hey O's fans, get to Oriole Park early on Friday, August 5th at 7.05 when the first 20,000 fans 15 and over will receive a Cedric Mullins 30-30 Club bobblehead presented by Masson. Celebrate Cedric Mullins' historic 2021 season when he became the first player in Orioles history to join the 30-30 Club with 30 home runs and 30 stolen bases. Tickets start as low as $15. What better way to cheer on the Silver Slugger than at the ballpark that forever changed baseball? Buy tickets at Orioles.com slash tickets. The latest edition of Press Box is available now, and it's our very first Salute the Coaches issue. On the cover, we recognize Ravens coach John Harbaugh ahead of his 15th season. Also inside, find tributes to Navy football coach Ken Niamatololo, UMBC soccer coach Pete Karinji, Maryland soccer coach Sasha Sorovsky, and field hockey coach Missy Maharg, Mount St. Joe basketball coach Pat Clatchy, and poly basketball coach Kendall Peace. We also honor recently retired Johns Hopkins lacrosse coach Janine Tucker and Calvert Hall baseball coach Lou Eckerl, the athletes who whose lives these coaches have impacted, offering insights on what makes them special and why they've stood the test of time. Pressbox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Sports betting has come to Maryland, and we're ready to help you win some money. Tune in for Simply the Bets every Tuesday morning at 1140. Fendel Sportsbook Assistant GM Leon Twyman and VEASAN's Aaron Oster join the guys every week to give you all of the info you need and offer you a few winners. And every other Thursday at 1140, tune in for Weekend at Bookies as Andrew Stecka and Alloy Sports Brad Cronthal help make you some money for the weekend. So come win some money with us on Simply the Bets every Tuesday and Weekend at Bookies every other Thursday. Thursday, brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel Maryland. Listen at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. Watch at YouTube.com slash PressBoxOnline. The Toyota Tacoma comes in a wide range of models and trim lines. You can choose the perfect Toyota to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out BuyAToyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. Welcome back to the Battle Round on a hot and muggy Saturday here in Towson. Coming to you live from our new studios here in Towson, Maryland. I have to say, probably my favorite thing about the new studio location is that when I have to go to the bathroom, I don't need to go find a key, run to the bathroom, and run back to get back in time. It's literally right out the door and around the corner. Um, very, very convenient. I had time to come back and smoke a cigarette. Just kidding. I do not smoke cigarettes. <laughs> Um, I, I really don't. I really don't. I, I, I have... That's a tough thing to do when you work in the restaurant industry. Yeah, I, I, I'll tell you, man, I, I have not smoked a cigarette. I, I think I've smoked one cigarette since I've been working in the restaurant industry. I, of course, when I was a teenager, I tried it. You know what I mean? Kids do stupid things. Yeah. Um, but then once I started working in restaurants and I got older and I've played sports my whole life and I'm a gym enthusiast, it's very hard to do those things when you don't have lung capacity for aerobic exercise. So, right. and, you know, I don't want cancer. You know, I like being alive. Yeah. You know, so um, smoking, not for me. Weird, weird soapbox thing for me there. Anyway. It is time now for the payoff pitch around the league, if I can find it here in my notes. 
Anthony Santander hit a three-run homer off of Roldis Chapman to make it a one-run game in the seventh, but the Yankees scored at least one run in five straight frames from the third to the seventh innings, including two Aaron Judge home runs, and Clay Holmes picked up a five-out save as the Yankees took down the Orioles 7-6. to The Blue Jays hammered out 28 runs on 29 hits, including six by Lourdes Gurriel, while Danny Jansen and Rymel Tapia drove in six apiece to thrash the Red Sox 28-5. to Francisco Mejia and Yandy Diaz combined for five RBIs to lead the Rays to a 7-3 victory over the Royals. Royals. Andres Jimenez homered and drove in two, while Josh Naylor drove in three of his own to help the Guardians pass the White Sox 8-2. Jose Altuve, Jordan Alvarez, and Martin Maldonado each homered to, f- to help Houston snap Seattle's 14-game winning streak with a 5-2 victory. Did you see that game? I did not. They had the bases loaded with one out in the bottom of the eighth, the Mariners did. Kyle Lewis hits a scorching line drive that Pena makes a leaping grab on. I did in, see that, in, um, I, the broadcast. The, the, guy, the, 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 the broadcast goes, base hit the center field. No, he caught it. Yeah. Where did Pena come from? Right. And then um, Cal Rally killed a rally uh, with a strikeout to end that inning. And the Astros win 5-2 to two to snap that 14-game losing streak. Joey Votto homer, Tyler Naquin and Donovan Solano combined for seven RBIs. And the Reds toppled the Cardinals 9-5. to five. Paul Goldschmidt homered and drove in two in the loss for St. Louis. Nelson Velasquez pinch hit for Rafael Ortega in the eighth and wound up homering twice and driving in five runs as the Cubs crushed the Phillies 15-2. Braxton Garrett struck out seven and six innings of one-run ball while Joey Wendell had three hits and two RBI to lead the Marlins to a victory over the Pirates 8-1. You Darvish outdueled Max Scherzer, striking out nine and seven innings of one-run ball, and Eric Hosmer homered and doubled to pace the offense as San Diego defeated the New York Metropolitans 4-1. to The Braves homered twice and scored six runs off Shohei Otani in the seventh inning and seven total runs in the frame despite Otani's 11 Ks, and Charlie Morton dominated with seven Ks over six shutout innings to lead Atlanta over the Angels 8-1. to Andrew McCutcheon, Willie Adamas, and Hunter Renfro all homered, but it was Luis Arias, the brother of Orioles infielder Ramon Arias, who played the hero with a walk-off RBI single in the bottom of the 13th to lead the Brewers over the Rockies 6-5. Cattell Marte tripled, homered, and drove in four to back seven shutout innings from Zach Gallon as the D-backs decimated the Nationals 10-1. Cole Irvin allowed one run over seven innings, striking out eight, and the Oakland bullpen withstood a ninth-inning rally to fend off the Rangers 5-4. And finally, Cody Bellinger hit a grand slam off reliever Sam Long in the bottom of the eighth to break a 1-1 tie and hand the Dodgers a 5-1 victory over the Giants. The Tigers and Twins were both off Friday and begin a two-game series with each other tonight that you're going to learn more about now from Ryan Blake. Yeah, for your Saturday action this week, the Guardians and White Sox will play two. It'll be a couple young starters for the Guardians and a couple not-so-young starters for the White Sox. Game one at 110, Tristan McKenzie has struck out four, uh, sorry, Tristan McKenzie struck out 12 in eight scoreless innings his last time out, his third consecutive scoreless outing spanning 21 innings. Johnny Cueto for the White Sox has been dominant in his own right lately, putting together four straight quality starts and surrendering just three earned runs over his last three. Game two at 7.15 will be Connor Pilkington versus Lance Lynn. Pilkington has a 4.24 ERA in 11 appearances, eight of which have been starts. Lance Lynn a 7.50 ERA in 36 innings after returning from a meniscus tear suffered in spring training. Astros at White Sox, a really great pitching matchup. It'll be Justin Verlander, Cy Young candidate after winning 12 games with a 189 ERA and a whip under one in the first half. And for the White, um, for the Mariners, excuse me, it'll be Logan Gilbert, who has won 10 games with a 276 ERA and 111 innings. Blue Jays at Red Sox, it'll be another Cy Young candidate in Alec Manoa. He'll take the hill against rookie Cutter Crawford, who will look to put an end to the Red Sox recent pitching woes. Manoa, the second-year starter, has already established himself as one of the more dominant pitchers in the league, enters the second half of the season with a 10-4 record, 228 ERA, and a whip under one. 
Cubs at Phillies at 6.05. Marcus Stroman has struggled in his first season as a Cub. Some would argue that Zach Wheeler and his sub-3 ERA were a snub for this year's Midsummer Classic. That'll be the pitching matchup there. Twins at Tigers. It'll be youngster Joe Ryan, who hasn't allowed more than four earned runs in a start this season. He'll take the hill for the Twins against former twin Michael Pineda, who's 2-5 with a 5.22 ERA. Cardinals and Reds this evening. I'm calling this one the Battle of Forgettable Lefties both of whom are having kind of forgettable seasons. It'll be Steven Matz for the Cardinals and Mike Miner for the Reds. Both pitchers enter play with ERAs over six. For the 7 o'clock hour, it'll be the Yankees and the Orioles at 7.05. Garrett Cole and Jordan Lyles will face off for the third time this year. Cole will likely overtake Dylan Cease for the lead strikeout lead tonight. He has 147 to Cease's 150. Lyles was hot until his last time out, which he gave up six runs in two and two-thirds innings last Sunday in Tampa Bay, failing to go at least five innings for the first time since May 28th. Marlins and Pirates, uh, the Marlins' number two prospect and former number three overall pick, Max Meyer, will make his second career MLB start and hope that he has a little more success this time around. He gave up five earned runs to the Phillies in his debut last Saturday after pitching to a 2.77 ERA in his brief minor league career. The veteran for the Pirates, Jose Quintana, has been solid in their rotation, posting a 3.99 ERA and a 3.32 FIP in the first half. Padres uh, will be in New York against the Mets. It'll be Blake Snell, who we've talked about as a former Cy Young winner, name potentially floated around as a deadline addition for the Orioles. He has a 5.22 ERA in 50 innings pitched this season, but a nicer number to look at is his 3.69 FIP. Do you see what I did there? Chris Bassett has a 3.79 ERA in his first season with the Mets and has posted five consecutive quality starts. Rays at Royals, uh, Luis Patino versus Brady Singer. Patino missed most of the season with an oblique injury. He gave up two runs in three and a third innings versus the Orioles in his return to the majors last Friday. Singer has a 4.02 ERA on the season and a 3.06 so far in July. Rockies at Brewers, it'll be Jose Arrena, who's been very good for the Rockies, posting a 2.05 ERA in his short stint, but he has just 12 strikeouts in 26 and a third innings. Woodruff, considered a Cy Young candidate by many entering the season, got off to a rocky start, but has pitched much better of late after returning from an ankle injury and a bout with Reynolds syndrome. The Giants and Dodgers will play a little bit earlier than normal. They'll be at 7.15 tonight. Alex Wood has given up just one earned run in 16 and two-thirds innings in July, lowering his season ERA to 4.20, while Julio Arias for the Dodgers has maintained an ERA under three for the season. Angels at Braves, it'll be Patrick Sandoval and Kyle Wright in a battle of youngsters having exceptional seasons. Sandoval's changeup has been one of the most unhittable pitches in the league this year, and Wright enters the second half with 11 wins and a 2.95 ERA. Dodgers at D-backs, 38-year-old Annabelle Sanchez will take the mound for the Nationals opposite Madison Bumgarner, who feels like he should be 38, but he's really just 32. And last but not least, at 9.07 tonight, the Rangers take on the Athletics. It'll be lefter Taylor Hearn for the Rangers, righty James Caprilin for the Athletics. Both pitchers come in with ERAs over five. Did you say Dodgers and D-backs? Did I? I feel like you may have said Dodgers and D-backs. I don't know. I also said uh, White Sox for Mariners. I don't know. It was late last night when I was writing this out. No big deal. I just you said Dodgers. It's Nationals, Nationals, and D-backs. And I was like, when did Annabelle Sanchez go to the Dodgers? And then I was like, wait, the, the Nationals are playing the D-backs, so that that makes sense. My mistake. No, no big deal, man. No big deal. Joining us on the line now, the co-host and producer of the Bat Around, who's on vacation as we speak. He is Zachary Goodman. Good morning, Zach, or good afternoon at this point, Zach. How are you? I'm good, Paul. How are you? Doing well, doing well. We've had a great show with Stan and uh, Peter Schmuck, and we had Bob Phelan on just a minute ago talking about the Orioles draft. Ryan's been doing a great job filling in for you today. Um, 
We we have you on the line for take to rake, but I do want to have our fans hear what you had to say. I just learned that you did a roundtable about the draft with Stan the other day. So one, how did that go? What are your thoughts on the Orioles draft and on Jackson Holiday? And what do you think the Orioles are going to do in the next ten days with regards to pro- calling up prospects? DL Hall only pitching one inning last night and the trade deadline. Yeah, so I'm definitely going to have to dig in uh, a bit more to the later round pick for the Orioles. Um, you know, all of them from 10 to 20 in that range. Still have to do a little more digging on those guys, but especially at the top of the draft, I think the Orioles came away with some pretty good players. Jackson Holiday, obviously a guy um, with the potential to have five tools. Uh, you, look, you look at where he already is right now, and he's an advanced player across the board. Um, the hit tool looks like it's going to be very solid. The, the power is going to start coming a little more once he grows into his body. Um, and if he becomes anything like his father, Matt Holiday, it's going to be really, really good for the Orioles. So really like that pick and, and kind of what I expected. And you're, you're really taking a guy with a ton of upside. Um, it's, it's a lot more upside than a guy like Colton Cowser, which they took last year. And I think it's even more upside than a guy like Hessen Kerstad they took two years ago. So, you know, they, they're, they're taking these risks now that they weren't taking in the recent past, and I like that. Um, you know, a guy like Dylan Beavers I think is a risk too, um, just a slight one. But he's still a safe player. He's a college guy who – the swing's a bit wonky. I'm not a huge fan of the, the, uh, the swing there, but the hit tool I think is going to come along pretty well for him. And again, potential for five tools kind of reminds me of Hudson Haskin a little bit. The Orioles definitely have their type. Um, and then, you know, a lot of the other picks that were high up as well, um, I, I, I seem to like a little bit. Wagner is a guy who has some power and can definitely grow into it a little more and, and seems like an advanced bat that can move quickly. So, you know, a lot of the picks at the top of the, the first round and, and, uh, and then in the second round and also the competitive balance rounds, I think the Orioles did very well. So uh, I'm definitely looking forward to, to digging into these guys a little bit more and then, uh, you know, giving my full breakdown, I think, on next week's show. Um, but then it, when it comes to the trade deadline as well, um, you know, you look, you're looking at Trey Mancini. I think it's, it's becoming more and more clear that that's going to be uh, probably the number one guy who, who will be traded. And I think a lot of teams are going to have interest around the league just based on the fact that, you know, trade's been hitting pretty well. And maybe if they can get him to accept that mutual option at the end of the year, um, it, it's looking even better for them. So I think Trey Mancini will be traded. Um, you know, Jorge Lopez, obviously, is definitely one of the big questions. Just pitched in the All-Star game and pitched really well. Uh, but, you know, he, he is a guy who still has a little bit of control left and he's looked better this year than he ever has. So I definitely think he could be on the trade block, too. Uh, if the Orioles get the right offer, but they definitely won't be, be pressing the move, I think. Won't be trying too hard. Um, and then, obviously, a surprise, like Cedric Mullins or Austin Hayes could always happen if the Orioles decide to move one of them um, for a solid pitcher. So it's going to be interesting. And, and as Stan said a few weeks ago, um, you know, it, it's, it's really some of the most, uh, I guess, exciting and consequential days um, for the Orioles at the end of this month. So it's been, it's been really fun to watch and will continue to be as we move on. Dia Hall went one inning yesterday he's pitching for the Orioles this week right uh, you gotta think so um the Orioles made that excuse that you know oh we're just having guys uh you know have shortened outings after the all-star break but one inning is not really a shortened outing that is basically no outing at all 17 pitches um he looked good it was hitting 97 so I don't really think there were any injury concerns there um yeah I, you've got to think this is this is uh you know it, it's coming for DL Hall and the, the debut is right around the corner yeah, I think we can all agree he's probably going to debut in this Rays series uh, coming up. Um, all right, Zach, the reason you're on the line, take the rake. And if you recall, the last time we did take the rake, 
Connor Newcomb picked Cedric Mullins and blew us out of the water. So because Connor won, Ryan, you get first pick today for Take to Rake. Oh, cool. Do you need a refresher on the rules? Oh, no, I, I know how it works. Um, I just I feel like I need to start tuning in to the, the show the week after I, I guest host because I feel like I've done well my last couple times, but I don't know for sure. So I, 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 I never follow time, up on who I pick. The last time that I remember you making a pick, you took Roof Net Odor. And really? you and you did, did not really? and, yes and you did not win. I think he had a I think he homered the next night and then I I felt good about it and then he probably went back to his normal self. Yeah. Uh, I I am not going to take Rugnetto Door. Um, I'm gonna go with uh. You know what? Give me give me Adley Rutschman. Um, I think uh he's really coming into his own. Uh, he, you know, we've talked about his splits hasn't been great at, well, hasn't been good at all against left-handed pitching. Nestor Cortez is going to be on the mound tomorrow. I think he gets the day off in favor of Torinos, but, uh, he's going to come up and be fired up to catch DL Hall. I think he's going to have a good, good week behind the plate. All right. Uh, Ryan, go ahead. You, you, you can, uh, Ryan, sorry. Zach, go <laughs> ahead. You, you can pick second. I'm going to go who has won it for me many times and was last week's champion, Cedric Mullins. Um, you know, he's, he's definitely been performing really well as of late. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of excited to see what he can do over the next few weeks. I'm going Cedric. All right. Uh, back and forth on these two guys. And like, because I love him so much, I want to take Ryan Mountcastle. I think he's due for a hot streak. But I'm going Ramona Rios. I think Ramona Rios okay. is, is, is really clutch. I hate him batting eighth. I, I yeah, will, I didn't I, get that. I, I think he should be higher in the order. I, I, I could see him batting third and not have an issue with him batting in, in that position. I think that he's a run producer. I think he has an ability to get on base, and he comes through in the clutch, especially since he's come off the IL. Give me Ramon Arias for take to rake. So Ryan is taking Adley Rutschman, which I think is the best pick because I think he's going to be a monster the second half. Zach, you are going with Cedric Mullins, going back to the well on that. I'm taking Ramon Arias, and we will see how it plays out. Anything else for us before we let you go today, Zach? No, I appreciate Ryan filling in for me. Um, thanks for, for doing the show, guys. I, I'll definitely have to go back and listen. Sounds like it was a great show. So um, just appreciate, appreciate you guys being there for me while I'm on vacation. So, um, and again, thanks for letting me call in and, and do the segment. All right, yeah. sounds good, man. Well, I'll see you next week, and I'll, I'll have to show you how to use the phone. It's it's easy, but it's something you got to like consistently remember to do. But I'll, I'll show you how to use it when you get Sounds good. Can't wait. All right, man. Thank talk you to for, you soon. Thank you for trusting me with your seat as well, Zach. Appreciate it. <laughs> sounds good. Thanks, Ryan. All right, see you, buddy. All right, that was Zach Goodman joining us uh, to do Take to Rake this week. It, it really is truly an honor that you guys think of me as your like, pretty much regular fill-in when you need somebody. Yeah, man, I appreciate you, it very much. Yeah, no, dude, you, you do a good job. You host another show with me, too, and you are very knowledgeable about all things Orioles, about the, about the prospects, the, how the draft works. Why wouldn't we have you on the show? You always do a great job. I, I and, promise I wasn't fishing for compliments, but I appreciate no, no, that. And, 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 and honestly, dude, you're a good guy. You're Thank good you. guy. So I, I like to surround myself with good people. So, uh, no, we appreciate Keep it you. Keep coming. I, I am fishing for compliments. Bring no, it on. We, we, Bring no, it on. We, we appreciate you taking time out on a Saturday to, to help us out every now and again. And you'll be back here on September 3rd while, I will. while I'm playing in an all-star game of my own um, for my for my 30 and over, I, I mean 20 and, and over <laughs> baseball league. Man, you, you ever think about that? How old are you now, man? 
I will be 28 at the end of the year. 28 at the end of the year. So you're probably not quite there. It's probably starting to creep in that you're getting closer to 30. Yes. I'm getting closer to 40. I didn't realize I'm 10 full years older than you. Um, I'm getting closer to 40, man. And I don't know how well I'm dealing with getting older. You know what I mean? My body hurts more after workouts and after after playing sports and stuff like that. And I'm tired earlier. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, it's I, I don't know how well I, I'm, I'm losing my hair. Um, Same. I don't know how well I'm, I'm I'm dealing with it, but I'm I'm trying to trying to truck through, man. But uh, yeah, you're infusing some you and Zach especially, man. He's 21 years old, but yeah, infusing uh, some, some youth into my life. So I certainly well, appreciate if it. if it's any consolation, you certainly don't look like you're pushing 40. Oh well, thank you. I appreciate, it. man. We're just we're just loving each other up in here, man. Is it's it's, it's the uh, the Paul and Ryan love hour. Um, it's it's something about this new studio. Yeah, the, it's it's the pale blue on the walls. It makes yeah, me feel. It is a pretty color. Yeah, he had to touch the wall. He actually touched the wall, like he wanted to feel the pale blue. Yeah, it's nice, uh, guys. That's gonna do it for us on the bat around. Thanks to Stan the Fan Charles as always for his weekly segment. Thanks to Peter Schmuck for making his the bat around debut. You can find him on BaltimoreBaseball.com. And thanks as always to Bob Phelan from the DSL on the Verge podcast coming on the show and talking to us about the Orioles' recent draft picks. Hopefully we got some uh, prospects coming up uh, sooner rather than later. Hopefully the Orioles can go out and get one against the Yankees tonight. Until next week, thanks for tuning in. See ya.